Oh, you want to do a show? Sure. Yeah. All right, hold on. I a just second. heard that Modest Mouse song, We All Float On. In the I don't know what you're talking about. Really? You're in radio. You don't know about Modest Mouse? I was used to be in radio. Oh, come on. You should know better than that. You really never heard of Modest Mouse? Yeah, I know oh. Modest Mouse was. I just didn't, or maybe I just don't understand the song when you sing it. Oh, the Float On song. It's the, it's the most popular. And I probably. All float on. Yeah, I mean. Anyway, I just got that song stuck in my head. Man, I wish we had like a computer or something like that where we could, like technology, where we could just like instantly get in information and access stuff. Wouldn't that be cool? It would be, but why I do prefer you to do this in this. What, what we, uh, we run our show a little bit more VHS style because honestly, I don't ever really want to Google. We don't really no, do we, that. We don't we go to the computer and, and then go, and then ah, I guess we'll never back. know. And then it's almost like this podcast was based in the 70s, right? It's a time traveling. It'd be interesting when we do bring our guest in because uh, just because of his interesting past. Uh, welcome to uh, Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. I'm John. Huff. Oh, there you are. Yep. Um, you didn't like my uh, middle of the night uh, text I sent to you. Well, I went I went to bed kind of early, and then so I wake up at like two to go to the bathroom. Oh, or whatever. So is that then, where you're at? So then, uh, is it no? I'm sorry, is that where you're at in your life? No, if, well, if I go to bed, like, before 10, yeah, I get up at least once to use the bathroom. If I go to bed after 10, usually I can sleep through the night. Okay. And I was pounding water yesterday, too. So. All right, okay. But, um, and then I got your thing at, like, f- like 4 or 5 a.m., and I was like... I sent it around what, 5. What, I got. I, I woke up yeah. early, and... Oh, I'll explain it to you. Yeah. So, I watch... Well, let um, me tell people what it was first. Oh, yeah, yeah. He sent two videos back-to-back off YouTube <laughs> that were... Two, I guess you'd call them hicks or hayseeds, whatever, just to, that were demonstrating how to chew beech nut tobacco. <laughs> and one guy's name, all I got is fuck. One, at first I thought one video was Tanner, like okay, doing, a, up, ca- doing no. a character. Okay, yes, my son does characters. As soon, like, but that was like a That's split second. That's what we spent our time doing around the house. And then I was like, oh, also that would be a weird character, like the chewing tobacco <laughs> kid. And then the second one was like, my name's Dippin' Dan. There, I'm sure there's other Dippin' Dans, but I'm Dippin' Dan one. And then I was like, yeah. and goodbye. Yeah. So what was okay, the all right. so purpose of those? Let's take a step back. They were each like 14 minutes long. I'm like, is this a product review? Why are there fucking, you know, Confederate flags in the background? That, well, that like, was one of the reasons why I sent it to you. But let me just take a step back to see how I, I eventually got to this. This is the rabbit hole evolution of what happens when you can't sleep. So I listen to uh, a lot of podcasts, but a lot of podcasts I listen to, thanks to my dad, are old-time radio stuff, like old stories, like that, that kind of stuff. Like I listen to, uh, right now, one of the things I'm addicted to, I used to listen to um, uh, CBS Mystery Radio, radio Mystery Theater, mm-hmm. like that was one of the things podcasts, but then I found this thing called uh, Rod Serling's Zero Hour. Oh, wow. And so it used to be this episodic. Uh, five nights a week, they would play like so. It'd be one one uh, a story for five nights, and then it went down to just singles, one offs for half hours. So I listened to those. I love Rod Serling's voice, first off, and everything. I mean, everything yeah, I, I guess I was unaware that he did radio. Yeah, so everybody did radio back in the day. It was like basically a side job. Yeah. So he was just doing these th- these pre programmed things. And um, what I love about these, the person that grabbed all these, is that it was the feeds that they would send in, the syndicated feeds that they would send to all the networks. Sure. And it has all the commercials built in. So oh, you can, they, they don't take them out. So all the commercials are from the mid to early 70s. Right. And a lot of them are the same ones. Like Hugh Downs does a bunch of uh, Hugh uh, Downs. stuff. Um, Hugh Downs. And this um, is 2020. Yeah. What's his name for, who did Mr. Magoo does a couple uh, uh, commercials. Uh, Mr. Howell. I forget his name. Uh, Jim Backus. I'm Jim Backus. Mr. For Howell was Mr. Magoo? Yes. 
Okay. I don't think I don't this think I just knew that. in. <laughs> I don't think I knew that. Breaking Hollywood news, everybody. How could you not? I His don't know, and, I, and so I have distinct. I have Mr. Magoo cartoon. You know, you're right. I mean, now that you say that, I think yeah. about it. But I never put Thurston Howell oh, Magoo. from Gilligan's Island for anybody who's under a thousand years old, uh, and and uh, and Magoo together. But yeah, man, I my dad had Magoo cartoon, Mr. Magoo cartoons, Roadhog. Yeah, meet uh, <laughs> me, Roadhog. That's pretty good. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you've done yeah. it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah you've done it again. Magoo. That's that's where yeah, I get yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. oh, you know, society, you've yes, done it again. Yeah. <laughs> The classic crotchety old man who can't deal with what's going on in the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> so the progressive luck, 60s. today. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, so anyway. So, so, uh, okay. so there are all these old commercials, and it's funny to listen to a lot of them because they're just some of them, they're the sign of the times. Sure. And uh, uh, my two favorites, and I'll find them someday. I've got to play them on the show. One is, um, uh, I think it's like a Mousset red wine or something like that. And it's the world's, you, you realize that people made careers out of uh, commercial jingles back in the day. Dude. And some of them, if you actually listen to them, you're like, this may be the, like, who wrote this? Like, it, it but he, and they were paid. Whoever paid, wrote paid it a lot. was paid big a lot agency. of money. Commercial so, jingles are a, a big, big money. So one of the Zero Hour is sponsored by Beech Nut Chewing Tobacco, which obviously Bizarre. now, as you know, I think was the 80s, when after Backwood Smokes, how can anything that tastes so wild be, or uh, it tastes so wild be so mild or whatever? The, you remember that? Backwood Smokes. No. How could anything that tastes so mild be so wild? That's what it was. And it was always like a, a woman like uh, lassoing a guy who's smoking a bad backwood smoke cigarette. And that was like one of the last commercials they ever made. Backwood smokes. Backwood smokes. Was that like a brand? Yeah. Was it like R.J. Reynolds or anything? Or Doesn't was it even matter. The just... point is, I think we all know what the target audience was if you're calling it backwood smokes. Yeah, hillbillies okay, yeah. who liked cigs. <laughs> so that's kind of what these beech nut uh, chewing tobacco ones. And they're so like... A man's world is tough because women are wearing pants now. Like that was one of the that was like one of the parts of the song. Are you tired of women wearing pants? Yeah, it was that was one. And so I started, nut. I started laughing. I'm like, this is hilarious. So in the middle of the night, I was like, I gotta Google, I gotta find these because I wanted to share them with you. I couldn't find the commercials, but I found all these knuckleheads that basically go, Hey, my name is what? What did Dip you say? And Dan Dip and Dan, one. and I'm gonna try Beechwood nut tobacco, chewing tobacco. And I'm going to tell you what it's like. But every single one of these knuckleheads was sitting in front of a Confederate flag. And so I started sending them to you and Eddie because I was like, can you guys live up to any more stereotypes? And one of the guys, like, he had, like, the... The hunting camo gear, hunting jacket, head. yeah. I mean, they, but they they both look like they could have been in a deer stand five minutes ago. Correct. Yeah. That, so everything about them was stereotypical. And so then, <laughs> the reason why I say the other one, and I and I didn't type it. I was going to say, watch it until it gets three minutes in, because he's going to say something so fucking stupid that you're going to be like, okay. And now and that and it's and right when he said that, that's when I turned it off. He he goes, all right. So it's time to try the chew. Which, by the way, is a disgusting thing to watch someone. Did I talk about the like chew? The, the, uh, also, is it a how-to video or just a product review? Essentially, Pro- product, product reviews, review. and they brag about the type of spittoon that they're going to go into. Some are wood, some are fancier, mm. and so they talk about the exactly. Uh, so anyway, he goes. He picks up the beach nut stuff, and he and he and he reads the back, and he goes. Uh, oh, here's a warning. It says uh, uh, it could cause cancer. And he looks at the camera and goes, yeah, and socks can cause foot cancer. You know what I'm saying, everybody? And I just turned it off. And I was like, oh, my God. this!" And he was fucking, it, he may as well have been a flat earther at that point. I, like, dude, he probably is. And socks can cause 
foot cancer. I will say foot cancer. And I wanted very to... serious with socks. What? I want. That I wanted to be like, oh, sense. you should talk to Tony Gwynn. Oh, wait a minute. You can't talk to Tony Gwynn because anymore. Tony Gwynn is dead. Because Tony Gwynn had cancer. Because Tony Gwynn dipped. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. Constantly. Tony Gwynn Jr. will tell you why his dad has passed away. Yeah. It is because of chewing tobacco. But just when he said that, I mean, again, the setup before that, of course, you should have known that type of comment was going to come out of his mouth. Well, I mean, I guess I would have. I, I mean, I would I would have assumed something racist would have come out of his mouth, but like <laughs> but it doesn't. No, that's already in the background. Just so you know. Yeah, he that's what I'm saying. He like, doesn't I need to say if, anything. He's say anything ignorant, but like. Socks cause foot, so he just doesn't believe science or Ladies doctors. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why we need to get rid of the Electoral College, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah. So anyway, I'm addicted <laughs> to beech nut chewing tobacco now. But uh, and I don't wear socks. Uh, but no, I'm barefoot and chewing tobacco. <laughs> that's because I, I don't want foot cancer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I rub the tobacco between my toes uh, to make sure I don't get foot cancer. Oh I pad my socks with it. Yeah, so anyway, that was... I just wish... I got to find the commercials, though. But, but that, Be- Beach Nut is the stuff that basically Big League Chew aped. You know what I mean? They, they well, mimicked Beach Nut it. also made gum. So oh, they you, did. If you Google, so if you Google Beach Nut, it primarily comes up as gum. What like a different... terrible name for gum. Like, just... Beach Nut. Oh, sand and nuts? <laughs> like, what? Like, <laughs> chew it up. Like, mmm, good. Like, I just... That is an awful combination of words to advertise gum. Like <laughs> that, that's like sandpaper teepee. It's like, nah, I'm not wiping my ass with that. So anyway, I thought it was so important to send that to you as early as possible. Yeah, I mean, definitely, definitely always send it as early as you can. Yeah, the stuff like that. Listen, when someone's going to go down the insomnia rabbit hole, you got to... I will say that if I'm up, I'll get it. If I'm not, I'll be asleep. Texts in the middle of the night don't bother me, like... I texted this guy who was my manager once. It was like 11.30 at night. And I was like, hey, man, there's this thing coming out. I'd like to get an audition for it. He texts back, it's almost midnight. I'm like, cool, man. I didn't text you for the time. I texted you to tell you what I wanted to do. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> All right, should we bring in our guest? Sure. All right, our guest is... Beach uh, Nut Reviewer. I'm yeah, kidding. yeah. I actually... <laughs> we I found him on YouTube. Found those I guys. found him on YouTube after Googling Beach Nut. Talk sock, foot cancer, and, and socks. Yeah, yeah, socks. This just in. The earth is flat and socks. Dude, you know what? I'm, I'm going to become a flat mooner. Yeah. <laughs> the moon is flat, everybody. It's just a disc in the sky. Uh, it's cheese. It's flat cheese. Flat cheese. Flat cheese. Made of spare ribs. Flat cheese, everybody. Uh, this guy, I, he's definitely um, an ancient friend of mine. If you're a long-term friend of mine, this guy is an ancient friend of mine. First of all, you just made it sound like I have a disease. I'm a long-term friend of Brian's. <laughs> it's terminal. Yeah, you know, listen. Uh, anyway, welcome to uh, the show. Uh, um, uh, former radio disc jockey oh, and um, oh, longtime band manager Ooh. and a sound mixer engineer uh, extraordinaire, John Michaels. Hey, Brian. Thanks for and John, having and John, me on the show. And John. John Michaels, how are you? Well, I'd... just... I might say John Michael so people don't think I'm talking to myself. John Michael is his fake name, but I'm not. I don't. I don't even think he goes by his real name. And when was the last time he went by your real last name? Only at the bank. <laughs> Does anybody go to the bank? So I'm really not. So no, not yeah, even there. I don't even have to go there anymore. So it's beautiful. Look at this guy with his automatic check deposit picture taken. Well, he. Home. I mean, let's let's face it. Things are not going as well as I had planned. Yeah, I'm so 30 years and I'm still doing radio with Brian yeah, Owen. Yep. And this later, isn't even radio. On, but this isn't even radio. Yeah. yeah. You can say whatever you want here. There is no FCC. Yeah. Later on, I have to drive the promotional boombox down to the Southgate <laughs> Mall for the premiere of Tank Girl. 
Yeah. Which is supposed to be a yeah, big we, hit. Wait. With, that's what uh, we used wait. to do. Oh, I was like, what year are you talking about? Like, the I, Boomba, like Tank Girl. That movie came out in like... Brian it, and I never progressed past that. It's <laughs> just funny. Like, that's all we know. Uh, E.T. is the it, number one movie at the box office, everybody. Uh, I did see Lori Petty. It's funny you would use that. We did a film... Uh, when my film was out, we did a... Uh, uh, you know, we did the festival circuit, and she was uh, on the red carpet right in front of us. I didn't I didn't recognize her, at the, it, it, but obviously the people in front of me like, that's Lori Petty. I'm like, oh. Dude, Tank, Tank Girl was a pretty big deal. People, like, w- women especially, like, younger women that I knew were like, they loved that movie growing up. And yeah. then uh, she was in Point Break. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's done a ton of shit, but like, yeah, those, yeah. Are the, those are her two probably most famous, I would say, roles. Yeah, but it's just, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, no disrespect, but it's just like sometimes, you know, if you don't see somebody in the oh, psyche dude, yeah. for like and a decade like, or so, it's like you just... Is someone supposed to look the same as they did when they're 20 as when they're 50? Like, no, you no. gotta you gotta age. And like like we were talking about yesterday, people who dye their beards like way too dark. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you're 65 years old, dude. No way is your beard jet yeah. black. Yeah, like, exactly. That's weird. You look weird, dude. You look like yeah, a pirate. That's what, I was, that's what I was trying to say yesterday about like, I'm not against people like doing like dying and stuff like that, but it's just like, if you're doing it for specific look or like trying to like accentuate something but if it's solely based in denial it always looks wrong yeah it's weird you color your you used to color your hair all the time john yeah but i just did that again shock was, value well yeah or yes shock but, but that's what, right. what it colors, was wisconsin what, what color were you he's right it was wisconsin blue so. green i mean like yes yeah so the answer is yes to all colors <laughs> yeah but so that's not like he was like i'm i'm not the age you think i am yeah. it's like he's like hey check out my hair i'm a punk rocking radio right. boombox driving tank girl right. loving no it's more like i'm not Irwin's. the pussy you think i am right same thing yeah. same premise yeah. yeah oh i guess yeah yeah. I'm not the p- I'm not the pussy you think I am. I have green hair. That's, That's right. right. Oh, he Back must be off. crazy. So, by the way, it's funny you bring up the boombox. The other day, I I um I did I did some like really good park job or something in a very tight space, and my youngest son was like, "Wow." I can't believe you did that. And I turn to my go, son. I used to have to back. I used to drive around boomboxes and have to back those up. He's like, I don't know what you're talking. Yeah, about. Yeah, that was yeah, a sentence that like, went what did worse. You do to his psyche. That that, that that I mean that they sentence s- must have gone so far over his head. Like, well, you used to drive boomboxes. They were that. Th- I in the still. 70s? Also, he probably doesn't even know what it is. I still. I explained it to him, and then I explained, you know, back when your dad was in radio, and still to this day for both my kids, if it, it they literally give me blank stares when I'm about to talk about how I used to be in radio, they find no fascination, no interest. It doesn't make me look cool. It's it's not like I said, hey, guys, you know, when I used to play for the Packers, you know, <laughs> right, like, right, right. But they'd be like, I, oh, tell us when more I used about to massage yeah. Aaron Rodgers penis. Like, okay, oh, now we're listening. Second. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I think I think that comes with age, though, as they progress, as they get older and they if they, become they may, interested, may never be interested. No, in they may I never did. be. But if they become interested in like Hollywood and the entertainment industry in general, <clears throat> you, chances are they'll go back in the history of it. You know what I mean? Like if you like comedy, like you should really go back and study all the old comedians and yeah. like the kind of like the progression of comedy. So if they get into, you know, they start doing a podcast or they start doing whatever and then they're like, oh, I hope oh, yeah, radio. Podcasting. Well, yeah, Dude, but I radio isn't winning. comedy though. No, that's true. It just leads to, it's like a, a gateway job. Sure, but I mean, there's, but like my dad listened to, he taped, recorded old radio shows back in the day, like Fibber McGee and Molly and Amos and Andy, like really old shit, you know? Yeah, and yeah, and he, and he, liked radio so like there's parts of me that like i'm like when you talk about it there is an interest i do have an interest in in that and that kind of thing and also like you were going back through radio ads we every christmas we listen to the campbell soup playhouse yeah the from 1936 or 1932 or whatever orson wells yep. and like uh lionel barrymore yep. was scrooge yeah and we 
put that on, yeah. turn all the lights down in the living room, Christmas tree lit up, and we listen to a yeah, Christmas. Uh, that my kids do it. I let my tale. kids. My oh, brother Christmas and I. Carol. To, my brother and I used to do it, and now my kids do it. That Dude. that miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Those two radio shows. My kids uh, listen to those every every Christmas. It's I mean it's because we're bringing it, Christmas back, you guys. <laughs> yeah, the war on Christmas is over, everybody. Finally. Oh, it's beginning right now. We're about to start. Actually, it started. The war's already started at Target. Oh, dude, yeah, it started, started two in, weeks ago. Before it started already? in September, I started seeing shit like. Oh my pop god, up dude, Target. September. Target about two weeks before Halloween has hit. Target is already starting to put Christmas. To, look, it's huge. Halloween pushing it further and further. There's Every only year. one reason why they do it. Like July 4th, July 5th, Merry Christmas, let me tell you. Let me tell you, There's the, for, for all those people that are easily offended by any holiday, let me just tell you something right now. There's only one reason why that stuff is on the shelves, and it ain't because of beliefs. Whether it's Halloween or Christmas, it is because of money, money, money. Oh, That's well, the only reason dude. why they do it sooner and sooner and sooner. That's the only reason they sell any of it at all. But my point is it's not because <laughs> they're trying to like right. promote any specific agenda. They don't care about agendas. What they care about is money. how much money are they going to make. Dude. Any, so every business. so by the time Christmas is being put up in July, it's not nothing more than there's no agenda there other than dollars. Well, with global warming, we won't know it's December anymore. <laughs> anyway, well, so. that's kind of what we're living anyway. We've been living. I moved to global warming in 2000. <laughs> you moved to global warming. Yeah, this. So I it's like there are no there are no seasons. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm going to New York for Thanksgiving. I'm kind of excited to experience it's a humble a brag. Bit it's of, a humble brag. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, my mom had to buy me a ticket to New York. Uh, I'm such a, a success- Are you guys, the whole family's getting together? A successful in the, uh... comedian that I have to oh. ride the bus now, and my mom buys my plane tickets. Are you guys doing that because you want to get a little bit of... You, I, want, I know your brother obviously has a kid, but are you doing it because of the seasons thing, too? Like, versus... I know it's weird. Like, my family doesn't like to come from the snow to here to... Christmas oh, really? Is, my Christmas mom would love weird. that shit. Well, my mom really loves the holidays, so for her, it was a little bit weird... To go to this because yeah. it's so it's, it's just, just different. It's just totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm doing it because my wife is in New York until December, and I haven't seen her since okay. you know, early October, and uh, and my brother and his wife and the kid and my mom is coming out with uh, her boyfriend, and we're gonna do a family Thanksgiving. And are you flying Laguardia or JFK? I think I fly into JFK and out of LaGuardia, but I'm not 100% sure. Oh, so you want the worst of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think LaGuardia is technically a little bit closer to my brother, but JFK is really not that big of a difference. So I think it just depends. Whatever the whatever the cheaper flight was is what I went with. I just love when you get into New York and like everybody that works is just like the minute you get off the plane, they're like, don't. And you're like, I didn't even do anything yet. They're like, don't. Now get. Well, and you're like, oh my God, I, I'm here. It's just a different environment. Oh. They're just over everything. You got to right? fit like, in, dude. The first thing you get off a plane, you're like, hey, we're going to get a slice in a cab. Forget about it. Sopranos. And then they're like, oh, you're one of us. Yes, because you say those <laughs> following words. Hardly think that. That's yes. <laughs> Taco Bell Burrito, Mexico. Here I come. <laughs> dude, I told you. I Quesadilla. Told you friend, I told you about my friend's girlfriend, right? Huh? Who said that? Who saw the words tacos? E-burritos on a sign on La Brea. It was a taco shop. Tacos, the Y in the middle was E. It stands for, means and. Tacos and burritos. She looks at that sign. I'm in the back seat. They're both in the front seat. He's driving. She looks at that sign and goes, tacos, E-burritos? Why would they put a Mexican word in between two American words? <laughs> and I, I like looked up into the rearview mirror, and he like looked into the rearview mirror to see if I'd heard her. And I was like, and he's like, Fuck. Yeah, so you could see so his face. He was like, "Oh my god!" Where did you fly her out? Where did you fly her to? Did she fly she, her back to? I think she's still here, but she was she's Iowa? she was a pile of garbage <laughs> from Boston. 
Boston. Yeah. Uh, I lived so, in Boston for a while. It's not such a bad so, place. No, no, I'm not saying it's a bad place. I'm saying she's a bad person. You got to eat these mics, John. Sound oh, guy, sound guy. Sorry. You know, the head. John, John, I'm wearing John's headphones, and it is, let me tell you something right now. When you wear a sound engineer's headphones, I feel like someone loves me for the first time in a long time. <laughs> it's like right being now, held. I, <laughs> It's, it's like such being, a warm it's hug. It's like being back in the womb with it's your such head, a, headphones it's on. It's such a warm hug. I'm trying to remember how we met. Oh, was oh it? God. Let well, me no, no, tell but you there's, about my best there's, friend. So here's the thing. So every, so I, I, it was either Emma, it was either we, College Radio, WMSC, College Radio 91.7, College Radio. That's or, not how you said it. How did you or say was it? Cole's, WMSC 90.7. Uh, no, we were, you, you were not. 91.7 FM, WMSC, yeah, Milwaukee. That, that was if you wanted to try to be a radio disc jockey, right? Puke choker. But they didn't really like that there. They wanted you to, it, it was an alter, very, very alternative. They like, wanted it more windy, uh, yeah, more. Just kind of whatever, dismissive, oh, just, yeah. yeah oh, yeah, you're listening this to This is all things considered. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, not that even that, yeah. So we. Throw so, away. It was at MSC because that, and then it turned into Cole's Food Store, and then it turned into well, we both worked in the seafood department at Cole's Food Store, which is uh, <laughs> now defunct. At one point in Sounds time, Sounds like it should be the seafood department. <laughs> uh, I was good. I could tell you all about cod, Bob. <laughs> oh, uh, so so I think it was, and then WLUM. At one point, I had a TV show that was uh, local musicians Oh, Cable Access. Cable Access, did I, yeah. did I do that with you, too? And you were the host, and I don't know I where that came. Yeah, you actually hosted a couple shows. Um, and I don't know. I think it was MSE. It had to be MSE. Through it wasn't Doug, the cable. Maybe, through Doug. I, you know, I think I still have a VHS copy of uh, one of them. It was like a panel, right? You had a panel. It was no, a panel it was show. A, the band would play 25, 30 minutes, and then you interviewed them. I did? Yeah, but... That was you did some blue screen shit, right? I was messing around while yeah, it was I can't remember yeah, that yeah. now. So it's long very ago, childish. I kind of remember. That's it. awesome though. That I was mean. cable access, dude. You, I, I was always fascinated by the people that actually got in because you had to get a license, not a license, but you had to go do through a class. Yeah, there was a class. You take like it a was two a hour thing. Time, did yeah. you? Is that kind of? Were you doing that because you were interested in production, or were you just? I was fourteen. I, I didn't, oh Jesus, you know, like just. Looking for something to do yeah. other than ride the skateboard around and annoy the cops. So right. it was just different things that I would get involved with that I liked. Video was one of them, audio was another, and so that's how I got started. Okay, but and the radio station ended up being another one. I went to tour the radio station as which a radio station? WMSC, the college yeah. radio station, At which like, Milwaukee School of Engineering's radio station. Right, age fourteen, me and my friends would wander around, and we had listened to the station because it's the only place you could hear punk rock music. Yeah, the they time. played college radio. Like, still, I was listening to it on the way here. Like, it's yeah. dude, it's, they, it's, it's so it's still very diverse. And yeah, so I listened to it as a kid, and I always wanted to. I was fascinated by it, so I wanted to see what was going on. And I just wandered into the station one time at age 15 or Wandered something. into the station. Something no one's you, allowed to do ever You can't again. do. I had to sign in to go do someone's radio show at this uh, station up on Kawanga. I had to sign in. I'm like, are people breaking in and doing radio shows? Like, what is the problem here? <laughs> well, as Brian will tell you, and the security was somewhat lax. And when I say somewhat, like if the doors were open and people were leaving and you walked <laughs> yeah. in and the security guard's head was down, well, you're in. That's it. You yeah, know? So the, we kind of snuck into the station and I knocked on the door and... Uh, Bob Betts, the former uh, He used to be the for, voice yeah. uh, at County Stadium for the Milwaukee Brewers. Now wow. batting. Paul Molitor. Oh, Molitor. Wow. So Bob Betts, he was the general manager of the radio station. He came to the door and let me in. And it was during the, uh, it was a Saturday afternoon, I remember, because Barry Johnson was on the Barry. air doing the, the Boogie Bang show, which was, you know, old school hip hop kind of, 
jams or whatever. Barry's the only radio disc jockey I ever saw that always dressed up for a show. I'm like, dude, there's nobody no one can, can see, see you. you. But he was he always wanted to look good when he broadcast. Hey, his look radio good, show. feel good. You know what I mean? That's probably, that was basically mental, probably his his mental, motto. Uh, He's well, one of the nicest mental. guys in the world. Barry. I mean, and Bob Betts was the furthest guy from being in the hip hop crew that you could get. And Barry was an alumni of the school. He went to school at MSOE, so he gets certain um, perks for sure. being an alumni. You don't get your show ripped away as easily if you do make a mistake or whatever. You paid money to go to college there. You can have a little leeway. Right, so to see you know what's going on. So Bob shows me the station production room and explains little things. And then he opens, you know, they had the door closed. No, I'm sorry, you just knock on his door and you're like, hi, I'd like to see the station. He's yeah. like, okay, come on in. Yeah, okay. Bob does the... not look like a guy that wants to be nice. He's like Ed Asner from Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah, he looks With like a, a lot a more curmudgeon. cigarettes. A yeah. lot more cigarettes. Yeah. Mm. But I was a kid. I was just a kid. So yeah. he was being gracious, I guess. And That's so cool. he, he opens the door to the A studio room where the show's going on. And he, he says, and this is the air studio. And then he walks away. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he said this is Barry in the air studio and then walks away like I don't have nothing to do with this show. And, you know, I talked to Barry for a little bit and I think I, we watched him do a break and then we left. And from that moment on, I said, well, I'm going to get involved this station. And I think a year later I was working there at age wow. 15 or 16 or something. Wow. And what was your first like, were you kind of interny? Were you just kind of an Yeah, I just boy? came you... down there and I said, listen, I want to I, I just want to help out. See, at the time you had to go through a training class with Pete Rohde, this uh, other DJ there. God, I and thought you were going to say Pete Rose for a second. No, I was like, that would have been real weird. Well, yeah. So you go through this training procedure and you get an FCC license, which you don't need anymore. The station just has to bear one now. I still have an FCC license. Right. So you have to get a person. You have to get a person. You have to get permit. a person. Basically, a permit. Yeah. yeah. So you were held responsible for yeah, the so stuff you speak. said on the right, air. Right. Yeah. It was another layer of protection also for the college. Yeah. They could just uh, fire you and be like, sorry, he's an idiot. Right. So Happens through the training the process. So I started doing that and just helping around the station when I could. And when you're young, you know, you want to volunteer. If you're interested in it, yeah. when, you, when you get older, you're like, ah, do I really have to go down there? But I need money. Yeah. yeah. So I was doing a lot of stuff that nobody else would do, just cleaning up, picking up the trash. And it, it wasn't but three or four months that I started filling in for people and then eventually got my own show. Dude. So. See, that's just that 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 reminds me like that's that's a throwback to a thing that doesn't exist anymore. Like you like back in the, you know, the early days of filmmaking. Like, Fatty Arbuckle walked on to the Max Senate lot and was like, uh, I want to be an actor. And he's like, all right, you're fat. Come back tomorrow. And he made him a Keystone cop. And it was like, and then from there, he immediately like, all right, let's make some more movies with you. But, like, that's what people did. They just walked onto a studio lot and were like, hi, I'd like to act. Like, okay, sure. Like, Yeah, I don't think it's as easy now just because everything seems to be so relationship oriented in order to kind of break in that way even to do like the yeah. freebie stuff you know what i mean yeah. um got to know yeah, somebody but, but who knows back somebody. then just wandering around and like begging for a chance or like you know picking up garbage and stuff like that honestly you more people should do that now yeah. cuz nobody's willing to do that stuff if someone's now someone's showing interest if you're in really genuinely like trying to get in you can i think everybody has this new attitude of like well you're just taking advantage of me it's like, or you're taking advantage of an opportunity that you could advance yourself for, but whatever. And I don't want to sound like a, a cranky old man, but like there we there are is a generation of kids coming up that are like, I'm Uh-oh. like we're even seeing you just it. open up John Michael's Pandora's box. No, no, no but like I mean, <laughs> I even see it, I even see it in production. Like, 
like people who get jobs is like, you know, when I first got a job as an associate producer, I was like, oh shit, I better figure this out and like, <laughs> you know, and figure out what I'm doing. And like, there are people now that are like, associate producer, I want to be the director. And it's like, yeah, okay, but first you have to do some shit work. Like, you can't just come in and be the executive or the director or the king shit, you know? And they don't and, look at you and say, well, you came in and just were the associate producer not knowing nothing. Well, no, they don't know that because I'm a thousand, <laughs> so they think I've been in the entertainment industry for a million years. But like, it's it's like younger kids coming out of college. They're like, well, no, I want to be the host, or I want to be the, I want to be the main guy, I want to be the director. And it's like, yeah, not yet. Yeah, no, they want to cut out all the work, the sacrifice, and the and the and the actual. Uh, what did you say, or John? We were talking about it off off air. You were talking about what were you saying, like uh, when you're when you're help, when you're training Just somebody. A lot of you the, they're missing a lot of the etiquette, a lot of the wherewithal. But it's because they're not working with somebody. Of their job. They yeah. just don't know. The, they may know the that's, technical. That's what you said. The apprenticeships. Like right, people yeah. don't want to do apprenticeships anymore. Internships. Like yeah. it's all about. That's that is the the base level. You're young enough that you're still probably living with your parents, or your parents are still taking care of your bills, or whatever. And then you do these internships, and you work into a place that you want to be involved in, and you like you did. Pick up the fucking trash. Go get the coffee. Go buy Bob Betts some fucking Marlboro Reds or whatever he smoked. Like, Well, it's yeah, these schools take away a lot of that because the reason people go through that, that they put themselves through, because not everybody lasts through that period of, no. of doing all the shit jobs. The, people last through that because they're genuinely interested and want to do these things. And when you take that away, when you tell some kid... Hey, what do you want to do for a living? Oh, I think I want to work in video game music industry. And then they say, well, here's a school. Well, you get halfway through school and you realize, no, like I'm a fucking auto mechanic. I, what am I doing? Yeah. But they, you know, they train through and they go after these jobs that they're just trained for, but don't really know, you know, how to do it. They have no passion for doing. No passion. Know? Right. And so what happens is, is now you have this industry full of millennials that have no clue why they're even doing the job they're doing, let alone any passion for doing it. And that's not something you can teach. I mean, you can have a lot of technical know-how, but if you don't want to do what you're doing, just fucking do something else. I know? First of all, I completely agree with that. If, you, if your life is not that long, and if you're doing something that makes you unhappy or you're miserable with, Change that, like, immediately. Do something else. Figure it out, you know? No, they, they just put it on. Uh, we have to deal with it now. Right. Here's six incompetent people for your day of work. Have yeah. fun. Yeah. They don't care about you. They don't care about this job. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, wrangle them. Oh, good. Yeah. Is there an app for that? Probably. There should be. But, yeah, no, so uh, th- 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 that whole thing about, like, going in and just that, I think that, and and maybe maybe it still does exist. It just feels like the the days of people that that, that kind of like just sticking your foot in the door before it closes, and the next thing you know, you know, five years later. I remember my dad was telling that story about how he showed up one day as a temp. Yeah, and, and they were eventually like, ended up running the company. Yeah, and he was like, like those they would like, go to lunch, and I would get all the work done, and they'd come back and go, "Oh Jesus, you're still here!" Like I thought I was working today, and they were like, "Sure, great." Yep, you're the boss. Yeah, yeah. You're, now you're the boss. And the boss calls him in and goes, yeah, yeah, "You guys listen to listen to Jack from now That's on." That's right. He's like, the boss now. That guy who's just getting me coffee. Why am I listening <laughs> to this dude? Yeah, I mean, but again, the, I, the, I love those types of stories because I think that there's something to be said about. Like you said, the passion, it's like, or the interest. And look, you may have ran, the interest may have fallen short, and you experience it, and you get out, and you go, all right, good. I, I thought yeah. it, I thought it was something else that it, that, and it's not. So I'm out of it now. But you stayed in it, um, and really enjoyed it. And I think that that's it is. Now that I look back on it, that is how we met. 
was going in there. And I look back on those years at WMSC. I loved being a part of that, that whole, that whole world. I did uh, midnight to three, and then occasionally, because people would always get in trouble and get kicked out and brought back in, <laughs> a previous guest, Jeff Castellez, who went on to manage Citizen King and, mm-hmm. and run Electra. Geffen Records. Or, no, I'm sorry, yeah, Electra. Electra yeah, yeah. Records. You know, he, I had to replace him on the Tuesday afternoon slot because he got in trouble because dudes, the, the studio had windows Which eventually became my show yes. after Brian left. Yes, after I, I yeah, it's because I ended up getting a job, but it's like they, uh, the, the, the studio windows, that's how we snuck in. They would just open the window and people would crawl in and then if security busted <laughs> them, be like, what are all these people doing in here? You're, you're off. You know, you lose, you know, you get kicked out and all that stuff. And so that, that for whatever reason, that weird Tuesday afternoon slot, people were constantly getting in trouble. And then one day, I got a call, and I had to sneak out of my job. I was a food broker, like, stocking cheese at grocery stores. And they're like, we need, there's this this group of guys, needs help running their show. The guy that normally does it for them can't come in. So I go in, and they're like, this is the Dead Alewives. you got to do their show. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, Dan Harmon. Is that Dan Harmon's group? You know who Dan Harmon is? Yeah, Dan Harmon. He created a community in Harmontown. Yeah, yeah. So that was his group. They would do comedy and from noon to two thirty on WMSE. Really on the air. Yeah, I didn't know you at got the a time. Little, I little just... risque at, at yeah. parts. Well, it, also it's Tuesday at two thirty in the afternoon. Like but it was, it was a college radio. Station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very popular. Wow, station. that's cool. But I didn't know the day. Yeah, so that that was my one and only time ever coming across them. Um, I thought there were a bunch of odd fellas. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever ran across those guys at that place, but time to time. But, you know, MSC was cool, man. MSC knew about Nirvana before anybody else knew about Nirvana. And I think they actually promoted a show with them the first time they ever came to town. Oh, yeah. There's I a think. story. Uh, Scott Rude. And Pearl Jam. Like, all those yeah. guys would come through that station before there were anybody. Scott Rude, yeah. Scott Rude. At, I don't... I want to say I was doing sound at the Unicorn. I don't... I can't recall. Underground club that basically, you know, you could have died at some point. Yeah, it was like a hundred person in the basement. The total kill Great, floor. Great, cool place, yeah. but... A uh, lot of punk shows back in the uh, gr- pre-grunge days, amphetamine, reptile records, uh, you know, sub-pop stuff. Yeah. But a lot of bands would play there. Well, Nirvana was coming through. And th- so this must have been right around 90, 91. I want to say 90 because they were a three-piece, and they were coming through. Uh, they went to Smart Studios in Madison to do demos for Nevermind with Butch. Vig, yeah. the guy who ran the studio. Very there. famous uh, record. Plays drums producer. for Garbage. Oh. Who you might have seen on. I Garbage actually, is his band. He created the band Garbage. I right. actually saw them at the Hollywood Bowl with Blondie. Right. So the drummer produced the Nevermind record for Nirvana. And they had come to town to do um, some demos for the record. And then they were going to play a few shows to get gas money to get back to Seattle. So it was Chris, Kurt, Dave, just the three piece. And they came and played a show. It was a Sunday night at the Unicorn, and uh, it's it's Scott Rude, one of the DJs, the Rude Boy from WMSE. <laughs> he 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 was one of these guys that would go and bootleg any show possible. He had his little recorder he'd clip on and sneak it in and tape every single rock show that came through town. That's pretty fucking collection. cool. He happened to be in there recording the show, and you can hear, you know, they get done playing a song from Nevermind. They played four or five songs from the record. And people, you know, and then you just hear (laughs) (laughs) like one guy clapping. Yeah, yeah, just assorted golf claps. And and uh, there was just nobody there. It was a Sunday night. So 
what I remember is after the show, the band, I think, was it was a $300 show. They were playing for a guarantee of $300. And there was so, $100 so, a piece. It's a three-piece. So little people there that the, the uh, promoter, I guess, was sitting at the, the office table, and he takes, I guess he pulled a gun out, put it on the table, pulled a $100 bill out, put it on the table, and <laughs> slid it over to him, and he said, here, take this. You guys suck. You'll never be nothing. Was was kind of like the... Uh, Is this the same guy the that words. owned the comedy club in town? Well, I don't want to get into who it was and mention <laughs> names or anything. But, <laughs> yeah. but you know, it, it has been brought back to his attention that, yeah, remember that time you yeah, told those guys? Remember the time you told anything? Nirvana to fuck off? And yeah. they were like, we're going to go become the <laughs> highest selling band in the world. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that I mean, that was the scene back then. It was, you know, Milwaukee actually, for as much as it's been made fun of, Laverne Shirley, Happy Days, Backwards Ass, all the shit that people love to point out, it was very, very well traveled for all those bands back then. Milwaukee it was it was important to them to go through that city, and there was a lot of great venues in the city. It's, of big metal it's always city been a too. metal. Yeah, yeah, it's a huge metal city. It's a huge. It was a but huge I'm talking punk rock. But I'm, yeah, to say all the punk bands yeah. loved going through there. Yeah, yeah and there was even something. the police talked about going through Milwaukee back in the day. Yeah, and there there was something that like I mean Chicago had a crazy music scene as well. You know what I mean? But like. There was something Milwaukee being just like just a little bit smaller market, and like just a little bit more intimate at shows, and just a little bit more, you know, like I said, I guess intimate is the word, like not so blown out, not so. Also, from a logistics standpoint, if you're if you're on a tour back when bands would still tour, touring has gone way down. It's harder to do now, but when you're on a tour and you're playing Chicago. Depending on which way you're coming from, your next gig is either going to be Indiana or Detroit and off to Cleveland that way, yeah, or you got to go up to Minneapolis and hit that market up there. So why not hit Chicago? There's nothing. Yeah, what do you got between there? You got Rockford, uh, Madison, Milwaukee. You know, Green Bay is too far out of the way, and then from Madison to to Minneapolis, there isn't much. Maybe Eau Claire. Eau Claire wasn't a huge market. Yeah. So Milwaukee became a, a very lucrative market for bands on that. W- on their way to Minneapolis, which is a, a seven-hour drive, which you don't want to always do, you know, day after. Right. So it's a good stopover. They can make money. And if it's a harder metal band, it, you know, it ended up boating well for them. Yeah. Of the yeah, yeah. yeah. Me- Milwaukee's always been real metal. Yeah. Metal oh, fest. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so that, so that, that's, we met at MSC. That's right. And then I eventually left. Uh, you went I got to a bunch pursue of jobs. options in the real radio market and were criticized heavily for it. Yeah, oh, was he like underground? Oh, he, that Irwin, sellout? that sellout? Irwin went to QFM. Oh, it was it was just nonstop. But I went as I went initially as a sales guy, and then I weaseled my way into getting on the air on the weekends and stuff like that. And I could, that was a I can't remember if I've ever told this story in there, but that was the first time I ever learned about like the evolution of life and friendships and relationships and how. Um, Everybody has their moments with people, and it doesn't necessarily carry over. Because I was on the radio, like, early on a Sunday morning at QFM. And this guy, Kurt Sowens, wherever he is, I'll never forget. He calls me. He goes, Brian, I knew it was you. He goes, I heard you on the radio. That's amazing. And I went to college with him. And it had been about five, six, seven years since I've been in college. And we start talking, catching up. Because you have a lot of time to talk to people off air because, you know, you're playing, like, 30 minutes of music. yeah. Yeah. You don't have to talk or do anything. And we get done, and I go, dude, we should, this is great catching up. We should get together sometime. He goes, nah, this was good. 
He's like, let's be honest, man. We were never going to hang out again anyway. So uh, it was good catching up with you, though, and I hope you have a really great life. And he hung up the phone. Never heard from the guy again. But. And at first a, I was offended. That's and the kind of guy you want to have. I, respect I know. Him. What an honest thing to say. Like, get, get together. Do we just caught up? Like, yeah. I just talked to you for like, a half was hour. Was that a rub? Was he saying, yeah, you know, I'm kind of a real human being and you're not. No. He no. just basically he said. Was be, it was an honest he statement, was I think. straight up saying, like, look, man, we did have some great times. And it was, that was it. Like, we're going in different directions in our life. Let's not force the agenda and try to stay, let's be honest. It was a good catch-up. Yeah, I love that. We had a great time in college. We were never meant to hang out for the rest of our lives. And I, 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 I to this day, I go, bravo to that guy, man. Yeah. If he only... said it the way he should have said He's like, let's not waste each other's time and lie to each other. You get together, and then you, what, are you going to just rehash the conversation you had on the phone over and over again? Like... Have you ever gotten together with somebody that you kind of met during a time, and then you realize halfway through with a get-together, you're like, um, yeah, we don't really... Dude, it, when I, I'm on the road sometimes, I'll get messages from people that are like, hey, real good to see you're going to be in my area. And it's <laughs> like, yeah. Then they like start like, can I get tickets? And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? Like, I'm like, yeah, let me see if I can get you on a list. Like, I've gone out of my way to get people on guest lists, and then they just don't show up. Oh, I stopped And I'm doing like, well, we're done. Yeah, that, I've stopped doing it, too. I'm like, if you want tickets, you can call the club and get tickets. Like, it's not... Like, I was in D.C. and be like, I can't get for Tickets are 10 fucking dollars, dude. I'm not, like, <laughs> I'm not Eddie Murphy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Just pay the 10 bucks, dude. Like, I got to get paid, too. You know? It's like. Well, I will say, <laughs> and John probably can uh, attest this a little bit, too, because we both have been, you know, tour managers, managers, and, you know, and especially with bands. A lot of people just, it, there's something about being on the list. Yeah. That, that matters to people, no yeah. matter what the cost is, or getting the VIP uh, guest pass to be stickered on so right. everyone sees that you either have your lanyard status or you have your sticker and that's literally it they don't give a shit about anything else for most people getting backstage is about getting a free beer or dipping into somebody's fucking food back there would you agree especially with that especially eating the after show pizza yeah. Oh, yeah, almost man. all the time i mean i was i was just backstage at the willie nelson concert see there it is right and there and it was and just he was like... just there to get to for the free marijuana no right? I, I was i was there for the music but let me tell you those buses there was smoke coming out of every single bus back there behind the <laughs> we that? did we did farm aid a few years ago oh sweet uh, it was at miller park with willie and mellencamp and dave matthews was there jeff tweedy nora jones there's a whole bunch of people and yeah, you know that's that seems to be the way of life in that in that yeah. camp. Yeah, and and everyone like you know you get backstage somewhere and you're like, oh man, this is uh, man, just being on the road. Like what a great setup, you know. But then I go like home and go to sleep after the show in my own bed, and these guys have to like wrap the whole Hollywood Bowl out and fucking roll up all the cable and put everything on the bus and get moving. Well, and, to like, be fair, they don't do that. They just leave. We do all that. Well, that's so what he's, yeah. Well, that's, that's what he's talking. Oh, about. okay, right, right. He's talking about all the other the people, people that are that hanging have to out work, there. That, 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 like the, the people that were nice enough to got me because I went with Chris Porter and he's got you know connections and he's friends with like Chris Robinson, all these different people, so he knows all these different tour guys. And so we were back there and 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 everyone was super cool cause, because the show was going on <clears throat> and they didn't have anything to do at that time. <clears throat> but you know, you you go you know three hours from then it was like oh we gotta go we gotta go and those buses man they got they were stacked three like three bunks. And I was like, oh, man, I've seen two, but not three. And no, that's three. standard. Three. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, three it looked real. Side. Like, the bottom bunk looked like a coffin. I was like, nah, that doesn't look like fun. You have to sleep a certain way in the bus. You have uh, to sleep with your head to the back of the bus. To the back, yeah, yeah because yeah. otherwise, uh, if he slams, if he on, slams the on the brakes, you hit your head, break your neck. Yeah. 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 
Cool. That sounds. No one ever told Brian. I don't know why. And that's why they he always said, "Hey, man, make sure damage. that you put your head towards the driver." Yeah, you <laughs> want to break that neck. Great job tonight, Bry. I'm gonna Cliff Burton you. I actually never. I got out of the music business before anybody that I ever worked with got on the tour buses. I because I was a tour manager for two different bands, the Guffs, and I can't remember. Did you ever do sound for me? It was always Tony Luna that always did the sound for me. No, I never did sound. I you was you worked with the them crew. after I was done. Yeah, yeah. Right. Never yep. with me. Never okay. with you. Um, Only so, the lovelies with you. Oh, the lovelies, yeah. Um, the uh, La- Milwaukee band uh, with uh, Louisa Ritchie, Brian Ritchie's ex-wife, yeah. and uh, Liv Mueller, and uh, and uh, Damian, Damian Striggins, who he actually a lot of people would have known him back in the '90s because he was part of another band that Pearl Jam loved, loved, loved. Oh, loves. the Frogs, yeah, yeah, he played with the Frogs. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a band that I used to manage back in the day. But no, so the, the only other was the Citizen King, and then I got out of that whole oh, God. part of it, of that whole band management. So I never got, I was I was always in vans. Vans with yeah. trailers attached you didn't make to it, them. I was going to say, you didn't make it to the bus portion. No, of the... never got to the bus stuff. So other guys make it to the bus stuff, but I never made it to the actual big tour bus stuff. I got I got completely got out of the business by that at that point. But so, so th- we kept crossing paths. So we did the MSC thing, and then we did work in grocery together, and then eventually... <laughs> we worked in grocery. We did. We worked in radio. We worked in grocery. Dude, yeah. let me tell you something. There's Back then, you could make a shitload of money working in the grocery business. I'm serious. <laughs> for, for, what you, for what your yeah, age was and where you were... Yeah, wheels of brie in the trunk, guys. Let's dude, go crazy. Dude, uh, holiday pays, double times, all that overtime stuff. It's unionized. I mean, you made some. You made some fucking my, great money. My I uncle was a manager money. at Jewel. He put two kids through college. You know what I mean? Like great money. In, was, in the Midwest, people eat is one of the main <laughs> pastimes. So yeah, as I notice, your hat, White Castle. Yeah. Speaking of eating, yeah, you can get some eating done some in a White Castle. I wore this specifically because of the envy you had for the shirt. I thought I just. I also have a keychain, White Castle keychain. Really? Huh? This is See, uh, this guy. Yeah, oh, the envy I had for Brian's Cra- shirt. Craver Nation. Oh, wow, dude. See? That's, uh... There are no White Castles out here, or there are White Castles out here? No. Okay. There's not. Well, they had, when Harold and Kumar came out, they put up a mock White Castle uh, as promotion. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. They put up a mock White Castle on Sunset Strip <laughs> in between where what is now called Pink Taco and another building and I was driving home from work. I worked in Santa Monica, and I was coming down Sunset. And I'm like, and I was like, what the fuck? And I literally like cut across oh, traffic. Oh, you thought you had been given a treat. <clears throat> Dude, I cut across traffic. I get out of my car. <clears throat> I'm running up to the window. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? White Castle's finally in Los Angeles. I'm like, I'll have a dozen White Castle. And the lady <laughs> looks at me, and she goes, we can serve you two at a time, and they take about 10 minutes. I go, what? She's like, this is for a movie promotion? And I was like, what? Like, they put it up just for to promote Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. And I was so mad that I couldn't get a dozen that I went to the grocery store and bought them frozen and went home and <laughs> ate 12 of them. And I was like, Psst, I'll show you guys yeah. the boss. Yeah. But, uh, Did you drive back over and let her know? I just had I 12. drove back over. I drove back. As I was eating them, I just drove up and down Sunset. <laughs> <laughs> in rush hour, it was totally worth it. White Castle. All right. So anyway, so we worked. So we worked at at the at the grocery store for a while, and then eventually I I left that. That's when I got the job at LUM, and I we we would kind of come and go. Like we would see each other, not see each other, see each other, not see each other, and then I got him the job. I think you worked in promotions for me originally. Yeah, I, I was started, promotions director started at the radio working station. promotions. We had schemed on the phone 
uh, prior to the job, actually, the interview and all that. And, you know, Brian had coached me. Now, listen, we're just going to bring you in, and you're just going to have to do what I say for like a month, and then we'll slowly, you know, get you on on an air shift. Somebody will not want to come in. On well, that's right. You wanted to be a disc jockey. See, right, I, right, this, right. Everybody always has to remind me everything that I've done on my past because I forget everything. So I, I did promotions, and I got to learn it, and that's where I, I learned how to drive the uh, boom box, promotional boom box. And, you know, having Brian as a boss in a clutch situation is interesting because he'll – He'll tell you something. Michaels, get up on top of the boombox with the wireless mic. Drop your pants. You know, you're on the air in 10 seconds. Go. And so you just had to kind of fly with it. Just right? do it. Yeah, you know. And Was he a good boss? Or did you say probably the worst one you've ever had? Well, yeah, it's everything shit rolls downhills. And yeah. later on in the process when I became a, a jock and then learned to who he was dealing with in the beginning, it made a lot of sense. It's, okay, so you had, you know, Dan and... and Bunts and uh, Steve. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, look, at the end of the day, there was a whole lo- there was a whole load of people a above chain me. There are yeah, some yeah. people that will tell you they loved working with me, and there are other people that are going to tell you they didn't like working with me. I was in my twenties, and I was an, probably an asshole. Oh, like, dude. I'm not going to. Den- if anybody tells a story about me and it's not good, I will not probably not deny it. Yeah. And if they tell a nice story, I'll be like, well, that's cool. That I probably did sound that like too. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the only thing I remember was that Brian's <laughs> office was the place. He had all the swag, like well, yeah, all the free promotions, giveaways you get and all everything. The free shit, yeah. So everybody was just hanging around. It didn't even matter. You know, they were just walking by the office, and there'd be a new box of shirts that would arrive. Someone who was normally not going to stop by and say hi. Hey, Brian. How uh, you doing, buddy? What hey, you got there? Box hey, of shirts? Dude. No, it would, you start off innocuous. Hey, what are you doing for lunch today, buddy? Yeah. Oh, I see you got some shirts there. And it, you know. This got everything. All the movie stuff, all the, t- all the music, all, all those the, tank girl. You know how many? Emotional <laughs> items. Dude, I have I have bins of of old radio shirts, like just that are forever gonna sit in the garage because I don't know what I'm gonna do with all that stuff. And the funny thing is, it all looks like it's from the 1990s, <laughs> and I'm not planning on dressing like I'm on the set of Friends anytime soon. So Dude. it'll never ever ever be worn. It was a strange time. Alternative music was just becoming popular, widespread, and the station had just switched formats to that. The city was on board. We were number one in the ratings. So it was a kind of an interesting time. Yeah. We really thought it we was were fun. Make a difference I mean, you can't, de- I mean, you can't deny that it was fun. It was a blast. If you're in your 20s, like working in radio, basically they pay you in CDs and clothing, like yeah. jo- and food and free food. I think I made eight bucks an hour yeah. as a jock. But you got time. you get you went everywhere. You went to the events. It was usually free booze, yeah. free food. You yeah. know, which the booze part was bad. We had to, you know, a couple guys were driving that thing home drunk every once in a while. Like <laughs> it was some bad decision making. But the other cool thing was free music. Yeah, like we were at yeah. every event, all access. And look, if you love music and yep. you're in your twenties, and you literally pull up all day. Free access. The artists always come over and do interviews with you. Like it, and then you get to go see the show. You can stand backstage. You can watch side stage. You can watch in the fifth row. Like you had free. You, literally, you were just a pass holder, and you I just mean, that's, wandered that's around. What it, that would be to me the ultimate perk. You can give me all the T-shirts and all the CDs and shit. But if I got to go see live music on a regular basis for free, and you know, people throw me beers and give me hot dogs or whatever. Dude, I'm in, happier in than making shit. In 1995, that station, Brian helped and I helped a bit, and everybody there put on a an amazing concert. It was a, a festival style. The concert. new rock fests. That the the if you look back at the oh, lineup, lineup of bands, the Ramones were there. Jesus. Weezer, okay, let me tell you about Ramones uh, real quick. So we we get the lineup right, yeah, and we know the Ramones are coming. 
John comes over to me and he's like, listen, dude, I don't ask you for a lot of things, okay? Because <laughs> we, we ran multiple stages, right? Yeah. And the funny thing is, is there's, you've been to uh, Summerfest. Yeah. So there's the Marcus Amphitheater. That's a massive, what about what does that fit? 26. That was the only that? place I ever went then for That's Summerfest. That's the main yeah. stage. So there was a main stage lineup. And then we had two other stages, a really, really small side stage and then a medium-sized stage. And that's where the Ramones were playing on the medium-sized stage, which is hilarious that they were on the medium-sized stage. It is kind of weird. But John was like, I don't ask you for a lot, man, but um, if you could just, if I could just please, please just run the side stage. Just if you could just let me be the side stage guy because, dude, I mean, I got to work with the Ramones, like whatever. <laughs> and as, maybe I was a dick back then, but you have, to, you have to give me props for at least one thing. I was like, fine, you can go. You can run the Ramones stage. Yes. And I, it was... I got to be honest with you, it was funny. He took his job very seriously. He was all, like, you could tell kind of, like, where he was going to ultimately end up in his life because he was all about proper stage management and, and running that stage properly. But it's like, I, I mean, I'll let you tell your experience with the Ramones, but I could just, anytime a band that you're totally into comes in, there's that first level of, like, it's like fucking Christmas, dude. Like, what's in the package? Like, you can't wait for Santa to show up. That's kind of what it's mm -hmm. like when a band that you're obsessed with just pulls up in the van. And then the rest of it, you know, it just depends on what your experience is. Yeah. I have a funny story about them, but I don't know what your experience was with them. It was a little intense. I, A lot of the advance work was done ahead of time, so they, they were just going to show up. They didn't really have a sound check. Um, Joey came in. Johnny was the... I think it was the whole band. I don't think anybody had died at that point. It was the whole band. Joey, all he wanted was his pizza. <laughs> That's all he cared. It was, he just wanted... He had his, uh, you know purple circular little sunglasses on and he's a giant like seven feet yeah, tall yeah they're all tall as shit aren't they yeah yeah they're i mean joey especially he just looms over you with the hair coming down it's, it's like creepville yeah. a little bit and he's just asking about his pie you know i gotta have my pie before i go on so that's all he cared about johnny was a little more receptive but when the show started there was no fucking way that I was going to just stand on the side of the stage. I was still young, maybe 20, in my 20s or something. So I ran around to and got into the, the crowd. Yeah. yeah, like first, I weaseled my way into the first, second row. And all I remember is, at one point in time, all of a sudden, the barrier fence was, my face was being like extruded through <laughs> it. The, everybody, as soon <clears throat> as they started... Henry Rollins puts it best. He says that you just feel like a wet potato chip. You, everybody just rushes the stage and pushes as far in and as they yeah. can. And you just start getting squished into the people in front of you. And then it's like that for 45, 50 minutes of, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. just every two minutes you get a break. And then at one point, somebody got up there and said, everybody has to push back. And they could have been speaking Chinese. And yeah. Nobody did a thing. Nobody cares. And they're like, that's better. It's probably me. Is it? I was probably called in to tell everybody to. You know, <laughs> it, I was, it, I was may pretty, have, it may have been. Hey, fun runer, we need you yeah, over here. Is. All Are right, you? everyone, stop having oh. such a good hey, goddamn time. Hey, guy with the 90s goatee and the, uh, the uh, plaid pants, plaid sh uh, action shorts and fanny pack. You come over. That's what I was wearing that day, by the way. There's a picture of me with a goatee, the world, like puffy, puffy shorts, puffy pattern shorts, and a fanny pack. And the Ramones. Yeah. At yeah. some point. Didn't That's how I documented that moment. Oh, didn't the Violent Femmes play that festival They closed as well? it. Yeah. It's, it's, if, is it, this, it, this is your story? Yeah. Well, it's okay. not no, my no, story, no. but there is, true, there, is a, there, is, there is something. I don't know if I've ever actually shared this story. Was it you? Thing. Did you have to watch them or did I have to watch them? You, if, what do you mean? The kids. The kids. I don't know what you're okay, talking oh, about. Yeah, I think you're talking about a separate story. We have two story. separate stories. Yeah, okay. Well, I'll let you. So, so anyway, so the Ramones... 
after when they left, I came back over, and I, I you had to have been hanging out with me when they left. In the end, they got into a big argument about um, who gets to ride shotgun, and the whole time, <laughs> do you remember That's that? Right. Yeah. And they were like, Joey. Joey, I called shotgun first, Joey. And he's like, no, man, I called shotgun. And like it was all Joey had to make the decision. Joey Ramone had to make the final decision on who got to ride shotgun because it was a huge shotgun argument. Do you remember that? I remember the it, argument. It was I didn't so realize weird. what it was about. I was you? literally just watching this go down. I'm like, what are you is guys, this the fucking eight? Yeah. Like, Jesus. <laughs> there was, and I think you would agree with this. There was a childlike element to that group, oh, of, uh, yes. the, to that band. It Damn. was very interesting I mean, how they how they carried some themselves. of them being related yeah. in real life too. You know what I mean? Well, like, I, you know, I mix the smithereens now, and I, I have prior to uh, to Pat passing away as well, and the band's still going. And they took a lot of their cues from the Ramones, and you can see in them also is this childlike element. I don't know if it just comes from that era. Or if there it was comes a baby from New Jersey, or you know where right. it comes. No, from. I think that I mean, uh, having been a tour manager, and I you can you can talk to a lot of this. Um, I think that one of your jobs is there's a lot of babying going on with bands. Like they don't make any decisions. They got er, the managers and the tour managers are making all their decisions. Get up, mm-hmm. go to bed, eat that food, stop eating that food, get in the car. Go on stage, get off stage, go do that. Like, there's a lot of like literally. We, we find it works better when you when you don't let them make their own decisions. Well, you're managing a clock basically. Yeah. When you're a yeah. tour manager, you're managing the whole day, from beginning to middle to end. Right. You know, it's right. I, I, I. That's why I love that movie, um, uh, Almost Famous. There's a lot of it. Like when I first watched that movie, I'm like, oh yeah, there is a lot of that. Where the fuck is he right now? Yeah, God damn where it. is he? Where is he? What's yeah. going on? Let's a lot go, of let's that. Go, let's go. Well, <clears throat> it, the other half of it is if you can't manage the time, then you have to do it in a reactive way. So if the artist says to you, well, you know, I say, hey, you have to be in the lobby at two o'clock, and you get a call at two minutes to two, and yeah, I'm not. I'm gonna be down there at three. Sometimes that happens, and there's nothing you can really do about it. You don't argue with your boss. So then you have to play the other side of that card with the promoter, the club, the guys running sound check and all that stuff. And the rest of the band. Yeah, and yeah. It, it gets to be a tricky game of chess sometimes. But yeah, yeah the he's right, though. You want to keep these artists as happy as possible, stress-free. Uh, and it's all aimed at giving a good performance. And literally, at the end of the day, it's so funny, all that goes into... Just get, yeah, just go out there and just do your thing. Yeah, you know, don't be, please, don't be pissy. You know what I mean? Just go out during the do that because there's a lot of people. Especially, especially the bigger the bands get, right? It yeah. really is. There's a lot of coddling that gets into that because there's twenty five thousand people that are clamoring for you to go out there and put on a great show. And I'm not saying that all bands were like that, but I going back to what you were saying about the time, I just think that that at least that's the way I was trained. I was just trained like, look, you have to pretend like you're a papa, like, and you're just you're you're literally. Uh, treating them like like they're kindergartners, and you have to rally them, wrangle them, constantly yeah. do everything for them. You know, yeah. I don't know that it happens anymore, but I remember back in the Citizen King days in the late '90s, um, they would take if you'd get signed by a label, the label would bring the band in, especially if they're a new band, and there would be some sort of etiquette training that they would go through with the bands, and they would. Let them know, like this is this is how you act in certain situations. You don't ever offend people. You always listen to the tour manager. That kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, no, and that doesn't do exist no, anymore. No, no, and they didn't even do it back then. There were, there, you're, and there was a there was a big thing about media training and how to do it because people yeah, don't realize that was. people don't realize, and this is what actually ended up hurting Citizen King because they did have a top forty hit. 
was the reason why that album didn't break is because the lead singer just did not want to do any press. And they're like, dude, this is how the business works. There's the artist part of it. Go be your artist. Make your make your music. But if you want this thing to actually sell, and we invested a shitload of money in it, so we'd like, thank you very much. If it, if it hits the top 40, we'd like you to sell it. You got to be out in front of this, and you have to promote this. That's yeah. why... Uh, Mark, what's his name from Sugar Ray was so. Look, it's not that Sugar Ray was any better than Citizen King. They both had very similar style. Well, Mark McGrath would do radio and TV. He would do, he would whatever, do whatever it took, yeah. whatever it took to to take it to the next level. And it and it, hence the two different stories of, of bands that were similar. But to go back real quick to that new rock fest uh, with the Violent Femmes that that first year, I actually um, got the Violent Femmes on that show. The Violent Femmes were under a form of protest. Because they had stopped playing in Milwaukee because no radio stations would play them. Right. They were a very successful band, but never got played in Milwaukee. Which so is their hometown, ri- am I not mistaken? So they wrote them off and they said, never playing in this city again. And they, I don't I want to say it was at least a decade that they had not played in town. It's a hard town. And when we they get mad at you, they get mad at you. But yeah. the station played them and they still the answer was no. But then I started doing I think I was doing the morning show at that point, probably yep, with yep. um with Brian Lisa. Ritchie's um, wife at the time, and oh, I was Louisa. like, "Yeah," and I was like, "Listen, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta bring these guys back." So they, she scheduled a meeting for me to sit down and talk to them, and you know, kind of be like, "Listen, I get it. I told you know that's the nice thing about having come from uh, college radio, and like understanding, like, look, I get it, dude. I listen to you guys. I'm like, yeah, I'm corporate guy, you know, mm-hmm. but I came from this, and this has got to stop. And you guys need to come back. And finally, they were like, "All right, fine, cool," and they came back. But it was really funny. <laughs> their deal was this. So we had this big New Rock 1021 banner that hangs in it for the whole festival. Oh, you had to drop the banner. And so they go, here's the deal. You're the only one that gets to introduce us, but you can't introduce us as we beha- you can You can do all your radio stuff. You introduce us. You get off stage. The lights go down. We drop your banner. We put up our big banner. Then we come out, and it's like we're playing. It was like total punk rock. Like yeah, yeah. We're going to pretend like we were not a part of this festival kind of thing. And I was like... Okay. Fuck it, I don't care. Yeah. And literally, that's what—that's all it was. But I will tell you, um, that was the one and only time that when I went out on stage and I and there's what twenty five thousand people screaming, and I'm like, "Do you are you guys ready for the Violent Femmes?" And to hear that rush come back at you, you understand what real rock stars feed yeah. off of because they didn't even give a shit about me. They just cheered because I brought up the band that they wanted to see his name, and I was like, holy... That was the last time anyone ever clapped for you fuck. on stage. Like that? <laughs> fuck yeah, dude. That rush, that was crazy. There yeah. were, I mean, there have been times at Guff shows where I, when I was working for Scott, so I was drum teching, and I was back behind the drums, and they Do you would know who the Guffs are? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they, Milwaukee band, fairly... No, they were in Atlantic Records, so I mean, yeah, they, they did were, have yeah, some they, exposure. I mean, I've heard of I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't pinpoint a song. But. Yeah. So <clears throat> during the heyday, they would play Milwaukee in the 90s at Summerfest, and they'd headline one or two nights at one of the bigger stages, and there'd be 8,000 people there, at least, a, you know, 8 to 10, I think, in that area. Yeah. And they would get done with a song, and Scott would try to tell me something, like <coughs> fix, you know, tighten this up or fix something like that. And they'd get done with the song. And you just heard white noise to the point where it was starting to ping your ear out. I couldn't hear what Scott was saying to me half the time. He was you had to learn to read lips because it just gets so loud. It's ah, just you know the screaming never stops. It never stops. Yeah, it just it dies down a little bit and then they go into the next song. But huh? that's that's how that band was. And and 
to just think about double or triple or in, if you're in a stadium with 90,000 people, that happening with like a football game. It's an immense, it's very overcoming. What's yeah. the biggest audience that you've had to work in front of? Oh, geez. I think it would have been Farm Aid at Miller Park. Because it's different, right? So just, and we're going to jump around all the place, but when you sound mix, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're sound mixing not only to the band, but to the size of the venue. The crowd, right? Because all of that comes into play, correct? At, at this level, yeah. Well, we have separate technicians. There's a monitor engineer that te- that handles the stage and the band. And then my job is just to make it uh, clear, clean, and consistent throughout the whole area, be it a stadium or theater or whatever. But it's it different. It's different every time, yeah. Different different constraints, different acoustics in the room, all kinds of stuff. And you, I'm assuming, you know, you... Because sound checks, there's obviously nobody there. Right. But the, the tweaks happen. Or do you kind of get used to, like, okay, when I've been in this kind of size arena, if it's full, it's probably going to sound like this. But do you make those adjustments after the fact, typically, or do you try to make the adjustments during the sound check where you know what it's going to be like when there's a full house? It's a little bit of both. Like, after you play certain rooms, like certain theaters and certain venues across the U.S., you already you kind of know what the... Like, do you keep charts I'm, for that kind of stuff? Or not necessarily, or is it all by feel? So you come Sometimes back I you're... save files, like we have digital consoles now in the industry, so I can save a file. So if we play the, well, not the Coach House is a bad example, but let's say we play the Rows, and they have a CL5 there. So I've done the Motels at the Rows a few times. I've done Ambrosia there a few times. When I'll play there, I'll save the file, and then I can come back to that venue and plug in that file. It gives you a little bit of a head start. Okay. But, you know, everything changes in the industry. Even a band can change their input list from six months ago till now. People are constantly experimenting with things, so it changes a lot. But, yeah, basically I'm responsible to make sure that the music is transposed to the audience correctly without any anomalies or problems they should just go in and be able to hear the songs they want to hear from the band so how did you go how did you get out of radio and get into at what point did you start going you know what i think that there's a it started from all those rave parties back in wisconsin back in the early 90s there was uh you lost me at rave parties well drop drop bass network was doing a lot of uh, underground dance parties back in the 90s did you ever go to rave parties i've Uh, never been to a rave so uh, i have no i went to a couple but i didn't go to them until i was out here okay early 2000s yeah back in the early 90s it was way underground so there would be a a telephone uh answering machine line that you would call (laughs) yeah no they would tell you the dates yeah they would tell you the date of the the uh event and then you'd have to keep calling back and then and then usually the morning of the event, they would change the message and let you know when they're going to post the map point address. Yeah. And then the, you'd go to a map point, pay your money, and they'd sell you a, a map and a ticket to where the event was in some undisclosed warehouse somewhere. And so I worked for a sound company that did a lot of these parties, and they would be, you know, no one wanted to do them because you'd have, it was literally a 16 hour day. You'd show up and then they'd, start the party at 10 p.m., and they'd go all the way till 6 a.m., and then you had to clean up all the gear, which was a massive amount of sound, and then load it in the truck and drive back. A lot of them were in upstate Wisconsin or out west Wisconsin or down in uh, Illinois. So it ended up being a long day, but I would do them because I needed the work. So after doing this for a number of years, the sound company started having me do the band. So I was doing that simultaneously while I was doing radio. And, you know, after I realized radio is a wasteland of nothing 
well, it's, it's just, go you, nowhere. You, yeah, you, you, even if you peak, the money's like, they, you know, again, you can only get so many T-shirts and free CDs for your life. Well, I think the advice gonna, that pay the bill. Bill Gamble from Q101 we, in a meeting one time at LUM gave us a piece of advice that was, it, I thought there was going to be more to the advice, but it was just, you're going to get fired at some point. That and I then know. that was that it. Was that it. was the There's piece the of advice. advice. Yeah, so. <laughs> just so you're aware. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I just went with the more lucrative thing, and things started to pick up. I, I put a lot of effort into what I did, so local bands started to notice that sure. I cared. And so you just, it really was paying my dues. I, I paid my dues for a long, long time. So it took a, a while to get there. That's why I get so upset about these kids today. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Just Small wanting ideals. things handed to them. Well, you, again, it's the you're right. There is there is something. Here's the thing, though. Um, and I, I'm assuming both you guys, for the most part, would agree with this. Yeah, it's the 16 hour days suck. The paying your dues sucks. But you know what? In there, there's also some really cool shit that goes down. Some camaraderie, some great memories. Like there's there's also it's not all for shit. Yeah, there used to there's be. some Remember great experience. Remember the struggle because it is literally going to be what you look back on with the most fond. Right. Like, such a fond memory, like every time, like yeah. working production, like I mean, n- stories of oh, and then the production went smoothly, and we all went home on time. It's just not that are boring as shit. Yeah. yeah, and they don't exist for one. So it's like I worked a forty-eight hour weekend. My knees blew out. I was laying on the parking lot of a Rite Aid with my with ice on my like. That's a better story, and that's like a better memory. Yeah, you know? remember right. we were talking the other day. We went to that. We went to a Daniel Stesson's event for Dream Corps, and we saw you know Val Kilmer, and I my my. I see Val Kilmer and I go, ah, he was part of the production that almost burned down the Herald Examiner. And so that's that's those are the stories yeah. I'm gonna talk about is kicking a door down to save my computer <laughs> because the production Your desktop. Their, their lights, you know, yeah, my desktop, exactly. <laughs> my CRT computer monitor that <laughs> my K Pro yeah, that was four hundred pounds. You know, but that, that those are the, I'm not gonna tell these stories where nothing happened. I'm gonna no, tell the stories where like, shit went down. Yeah, and, and then Val Kilmer was there and they shot a scene and it went swimmingly and everyone went home happy. Like no. well, that was a great story. You could have kept that to your fucking self. Yeah. Mo- most of those stories are are boring. The ones the ones that are exciting are actually the stories where you learn something useful as yeah. well. Yeah. You There's learn a how to solve away. a problem. And is it bad of me? I I wanna teach the new generation how to do things right, but Sometimes I'll maybe this is a bad thing to do, but sometimes I'll withhold telling someone a piece of information, especially if it was something that cost me dearly to learn, because I, I just get it depends on their attitude. It depends on who they are. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say it depends on. Is that wrong? I mean, I just. It's not wrong. It's a personal thing, you know. I mean, and then what? You're hoping they learn that on their own, or they well, kind of come to the conclusion it's that more maybe they judgmental, should. like you know. Y- you're standing right in the middle of our load-in talking to your friend on the phone for 15 minutes while we're pushing gear. I don't think I really want to teach you that bit of knowledge just yet. I think you have some more, yeah. you know, learning to do. Yeah. But I just can't help it. I, I see so many problems with people who don't know the etiquette and the just the rules of being on a stage, working on these stages. And it's kind of driving the whole industry to a less professional stance. I see problems now at gigs where in, in the past I, my ass would have been fired off the truck and sent home but in this day and age it's kind of like ah it's all right just you'll you won't break the speaker next time you know it's <laughs> so it's a because there will be no next time right? that's <laughs> what they should have followed up right? with yeah exactly i've tried to have a little more patience with the industry they need 1970s dad to come back and be like yeah i was gonna say that there, there's been a shift in that in the way people parent as well, and the way people teach, and the way people explain, and 
And there's a little bit for more forgiveness than there used to be, you know, like there's <laughs> a little. Well, you know what I mean, but like uh, just the, the the way that if you had to go do something with the car and your kid came out to help you, the way that you or my friend Chris is a good example. He's a really patient guy, and when I see him with his kid, like instructing him on how to like blow up a bike tire or work on his bike or do something with a motorbike or stuff that he did as a kid, I'm like, I, I watched him one day and I go, hey man, that was. That was that was some real serious parenting. Like that was really good. You had patience. I go, I don't. Was your dad? And because I've grown, I grew up with this kid, and I don't remember this. So I was like, was your dad like that? He goes, what? Fuck no. No. My dad wasn't like that. I was like, when my mom would be like, you want to go help your dad work on the car? It was me holding a flashlight and being told every five seconds that I was doing it wrong, and like m- him moving my hand, and like I didn't touch tools. I didn't touch parts of the car. I was like, don't touch anything. Hold the flashlight. And it was like, uh, okay. So like I there was no patience of any kind. Dude, my whole my whole parenting style is based on putting on a show first and then always referencing back to that show that I just put on. So a, a long time ago, I would just play I would just like lose my fucking mind, be like 1970s angry dad, scare the shit out of everybody, send him to their rooms, turn to my wife and go, That was pretty fucking good, right? Did I do a good job on that one. She's like, Oh, you're not really mad? I'm like, no, I'm not fucking mad. I'm like, I wanted that, I want them to remember. So when I refer to this shit, they can be, they can go. When I say to them, <laughs> "Don't piss me off," they go, "Oh fuck yeah, we saw the fucking you know." Yeah, there's a fine line because I believe that my dad did the exact same thing. I believe that he, in his head, felt he was being a disciplinarian. Like he would, I got arrested a couple times and be at the police station or whatever, and he'd have to come and get me. And like, he one one particular time, he made a huge show, took my license and my keys. He was like, yeah, like like I was never gonna be in a car again," and like I was in all kinds of trouble and. He, yelling at me in front of the cops and making a big stink in front of my friends. And then as soon as we got back into the car, he handed all my shit back. And he was like, what are you doing? Right. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> next day, let me go to a Rush concert. Like, it wasn't, like, you know what I mean? Like, Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. for me, okay, granted, that was also old. You were older at that point. Yeah, I was like, and, and yeah, I, I was like 15, 16. Yeah, and he also, and I'm sure this is going to happen with me and my kids. They're going to figure my shit out, too. Yeah. They're going to call me out on my shit. And we're, and we're going to, or we're, we're going to know going in. What like, you're doing? Uh, yeah, we both know. Like, okay, here fucking, comes Dad's show. Yeah, yeah, let's go. And yeah. now he's done. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'll right. go hang out in another room for a little while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we'll all watch the Packer game. It's on all Monday exa- night. exactly. It's all very well choreographed. But yeah. I will say, well, I he did. He did lie to us about Christmas. So we, we should <laughs> probably but consider I don't, that. But here's the thing, though: it's when I listen to you guys, I don't want my kids to be the dicks that you guys are talking about. I just don't. I, I thought want, he was gonna. Like, I don't no, want dicks like you guys. Right, like, wait, exactly. What? No, I really don't. I don't. I'm, look, my kids are going to make plenty of mistakes in their lives, as we all do. I mean, like, you know, your 20s are just nothing but fucking. Dude. Yep. But 43, I made a mistake already today. But you know what I mean? It's like, but I don't, I want them to be the kid that, that puts his foot in the door and says, no, no, can I just, I, I want to still come in. And I know it's, an, I know I'm a nuisance, but I, I still want to try, I want to try this versus like, get me that. What do you yeah. mean I can't have that? I, I just and look and I understand that a lot of those kids are ultimately going to be the bosses, and they're going to have fucking bossied their way all the way fucking up without lifting their fucking fingers yep. and never helping anybody out. That's just the fucking way the world works, and try not to be taken advantage of them. But I also want them to fucking get their hands dirty. You know what I mean? I want them to fucking just do some shit and enjoy the like you said, enjoy the ride, enjoy the journey, yeah. enjoy the dirty because work. Because those right? long days and the crazy hours and the late nights and the driving long distance, like all that shit is like. What shapes you as a human being? You know what I mean? Like, my best experiences were on the road. They were, you know, taking road trips. They were going on dead tour. They were yeah. multiple concerts in a weekend, like, just doing things that were fun 
but not as easy as they are today. Yeah. Like getting going driving from Illinois to Kentucky to New York to Ohio is now you put it in a thing, you got the address, your phone took we had an, a road atlas, I got a highlighted route. <laughs> if you ran into traffic, you ran into some fucking traffic because you didn't know how else to get there. So it was like Oh, Huck forgot the trip tick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, to some extent, it, it, someone should write a book, a self-help book called Paying Your Dues, because it's that one ethic that seems to have gone away, and not just my industry, but a lot of industries. A lot of industries, yeah. That really is the key. People may wonder, you know, why, how come I'm not advancing, or why, why aren't I doing this job? Because they paid $10,000 to go to a school that told them that this degree will get you to bypass all this right, bullshit. Right, yeah, no. And that's not fucking true. Don't pay the money, pay the dues. Yeah. You know, that that's what's going to get you further. Well, I think what people are finding out now is that a college education is not what it used to be. Not for certain Not for certain things. things, right. Like, you need it to be an engineer, you need it to be a doctor, you need sure, like, sure, but, sure, but sure. all that middle level shit. No, you know what I mean. No, like, like I, I'm very grateful that I was able to go to college that my parents could afford it, that they were willing to send me, that they were willing to pay for it. I'm very grateful for that, and I made lifelong friends, and I learned kind of how to live on my own, and I think that was the most important thing. I was just gonna say that's all I got out of it, and I actually got more out of working at Cole's Food Store during college. Mm-hmm. That that taught me more. Than actually going to class in college, like I agree with you, it was about the relationships, the friends, the socializing, learning how to live Which on is your important. own, all the other it's shit. Important. Yeah. It is. But what about? But my the degree second... got me has gotten me nothing in my entire life. Nothing. The no. second trip to college, though. <laughs> the what? second time. Oh, you mean kicking it old school? The, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you learn anything? My MTV, my, my failed MTV pilot, kicking oh. it old school. Oh. And then you went back to colleges. I went back to college oh, at Long Beach. Again. Yeah. Well, it was I don't well, it was learning about how um He realized that, that he caught the best last end of what college is. Well, you know no, actually what I caught that was that was at the tail end of the girls gone wild era and it was shocking <laughs> to me. What I what I mean by that, it was shocking to me. Even me, and I know you're going to be shocked cuz I use terms like marijuana sticks, but <laughs> But and what is that? Yeah, what is, he called marijuana called me. weed marijuana sticks. Okay. He right. told his son he didn't want him smoking marijuana sticks. But but I what I what I mean by that was like when the cameras were on, I would women just ripped their shirts off. It was it was a bizarre culture back then. Like they thought it was they thought these young girls thought this is how I get attention. You know what I mean? Like we're way past that now. Right. Yeah. But I was Stupid's like been cultivated. Th- yeah, it was th- things are things are changed. I just I, I every place we showed up as soon as that camera it was the camera light. More so than the camera, camera light would come on, and every you know you nobody said anything to those girls. Yeah, they no would one just, was like, "Now take your towels." No, they off. would just <laughs> they would turn towards the camera, and there would be a group of them, and the one that wanted the most attention, they thought, "I'll just rip my shirt up." And I was always like, "What the fuck?" Like it was the weirdest. That's so insensitive, Brian. No, I mean I, honestly, being I, insensitive towards a specific group of people. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> But yeah, kicking it You're old using school. Using objects as women. The first night that I got there, they um, one of the pieces of shit that was that was in the shithole uh, uh, um, uh, place we were staying, they uh, put uh, Visine in my drinks because oh, I couldn't right. figure out where they kept feeding me drinks. I was like, "Oh, you guys are just trying to get me drunk." And I woke up the next morning. I'm like, "I got to take a shit." And I opened up, and, and literally the bathroom was like fucking CBGBs. And I'm like, "I'm not fucking going to this bathroom." <laughs> so I took off. And before the camera guys, you know, because the camera guys, they, they call at night, they take your stuff off, and then they come back first thing in the morning. And I did not want to get caught on camera, basically having been 
done, you know, like having getting having them fuck me over. Yeah. So I took off and went to the Ralphs down the street, and like <laughs> I must, I I couldn't get out of the bathroom for like fucking a half an hour because that's what shit the, my brains out. So yeah. if you ever watch the show, in the show, they spend a portion of the show trying to find me. I didn't know this at the time, <laughs> but they were like, "Did he quit? Did he leave? Is he gone?" Like, because they looked everywhere for me. They couldn't find me. And then I just showed back up. They're like, where were you? And I just kind of just pretended like I had passed out somewhere the night before and, like, you know, found my way back home. Yeah. I never admitted the fact, which in sh- hindsight, I should have just been like, I was just shitting my Yeah, somebody put Visine in my beard, <laughs> yeah, you fucking assholes. And I but I was so, was like, protective of my image that I didn't have back then. Your, your crazy MTV yeah, image. Like, right? <laughs> Brian MTV Irwin. Yeah. yeah. I just saw a lot of those MTV people... Uh, last year in Punta Cana. I don't know what you just said, but continue. Sounds (laughs) sounds horny. We did a gig. uh, I was with the motels. We did a gig. It was called 80s in the Sand. And it was at this... So you're in Mexico. In this resort. No, Dominican Republic in Punta Cana. Okay. uh, At this resort. And this is right around the time that the hurricane had blown through there. I don't know if you remember uh, about a year and a half ago or so. There was a lot of hurricanes that came through, and one of them knocked out Dominican Republic. Yeah, Puerto Rico is still yeah, right. fucked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that hurricane was had just come through, maybe a month or a month and a half before we we got there. And so let's put on a show. Well, we called down there. I said, "Listen, is there still a, a resort? You know, is, is this? Oh no, everything's fine. The, it was funny that it should have been a red flag, but no, everything's fine. Uh, the hurricane missed us." Like I, I watched it on the news. It, it's astounding, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, that news is using a lot of special effects. Right. So you know, we went down to do the gig, and you land in in Punta Cana, and you just see from the airport to where the resort is just decimation. You have three people and a, a driver riding on a motorbike, and that's called a cab. Uh, yeah. They have old VW buses shooting black smoke out the back. It's you know, gypsy cab, whatever. Yeah. People selling bananas on the side of the road. It was kind of decimated. And all the trees blown over. Yeah, like you know, Mad Max. Really decimated. And we get to the resort, and as soon as you turn into the gate, they have these, it's almost like prison gates. <laughs> Ironically, they open yeah. up, and you go into the resort, and everything in the resort is has been trimmed with a scissors. All the blades of gl- grass are perfect. perfect. Yeah, it was totally perfect. But we went down there, and it was this big 80s party. Um, and they had a lot of for the, the locals or or people or for it was no tourists. It was for tourists. Okay. So it improved tourism. I'm sure they gave them a probably a smoking deal on the resort. Well, to bring, at that point, yeah, bring the tourists there. So it was a lot of people from the states and a few other people from all over. And they had a huge lineup. It was like the guy from Thompson Twins. There was a, a hair metal night with some of the uh, you know Poison, Brett Michaels type acts. Uh, I don't remember who played that night. I got there the night after, but Bow Wow Wow was there. The Motels, New Shoes, uh, uh, Jody Watley. Wow, straight up eighties. Yeah, a lot of these eighties artists that were, re- you know, had decent amounts of hits back then. They've strung it together in a big party, and uh, we got down there, and the hosts, the, the MCs for the show, are all of the old MTV v- the originals. Yeah, like Adam uh, Curry and Martha uh, Quinn, Martha Quinn, and Julie Brown, and. I think Kurt Loder was there. And then wow. somehow Richard Blade got, he always gets tied into all these things. Well, he was it's huge 80s. out here in Los Angeles, right? Right, right. He wasn't MTV, but he was big 80s DJ on K-Rock or yeah, something. Yeah, on K-Rock, yeah. So he's there. And we, it was kind of funny because we would go to these 
VIP. I had to take the band to these VIP parties as part of the deal. We were there for several days, and certain days had parties. We would show up. Every one of these parties we would go to was so strange. We kept seeing uh, Richard's book on the tables at the parties. And so finally, Marty from uh, Motels grabbed the book, and he goes, I've been seeing this all over the... Who, who is this published by? And just kind of loud in the... Oh, it's self-published! <laughs> you know, <laughs> I see what's going on here. And he threw the book down. But they were all there doing their shtick. Uh, Sirius Radio, I think, has the 80s channel. They were broadcasting. That's what Richard played is on Sirius now, yeah. They're all on Sirius. Yeah, and, and I ended up mixing all of the acts on the stage that night. I was just there for the motels, but then... Uh, new Shoes came up to me and uh, Animotion and some of these other bands and after Soundcheck, realizing that there weren't any English-speaking people on the crew. Right. Uh, I had one guy that was the backline guy was translating for me between the sound engineers. So they saw me working and they all came up to me, can you mix us? Yeah. And whatnot. We need someone who could mix that we can talk to. Exactly. Yeah. So I ended up, it, it was great for me. I got to mix Jody Watley and That's some awesome. of these other other cool acts. Did that equal more money for you? Oh, no, no. No. <laughs> that was my question. Is like this, it's, so it's not much different than the uh, the acting business where it's like, right. hey, you can be in this, this, and this. Like my mom asked me that every once in a while. Like I'll list a, a bunch of projects. She's like, and do you get paid for any of them? I'm like, I got paid for two. Yeah, two out of the six. Like, There's lurkers in the industry, and you never know who's watching things, and that's my outlook on it is if somebody needs help genuinely and I can help and it's not going to take anything out of my day I'm going to do it yeah because that's the image that I want to portray and if know? someone sees you like okay this guy's a hard worker he knows what he's doing he can get along with people like we should have him mix this band or we should have him on tour with this band well you, you the hope the hopeful thing is you, somebody asks for your name or, or your contact info but I'm at the point now it's been almost 30 years that I've been doing this so there, I don't do it as much anymore. I'm always willing to help people out, but I'm not trying to portray an image anymore or anything. I do you are who you are. Yeah. People know you for what they know you Pretty for. Pretty much, yeah. yeah so. How did you... So when you and I reconnected uh, a couple years ago when you were back through, you were kind of... How did you get into that world of... And, and, and talk a little bit about this, this, this world of bands from the 70s and the 80s and the 90s oh. and what this... What this circuit is, because you're pretty knee-deep in this stuff, right? Whether it's the bands you're working with or the things that you're affiliated with, you're seeing a lot of this. And it's, it seems like it's like a, it's like a huge like, subculture that, uh, of, of the music business that's out there. There's a lot of it. Because um... these bands, just to be clear, a lot of these bands from the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they have their moment. If you don't move on to do something else to your life to capitalize on it, you have no choice also probably for some of these. They have to stay on the road. Is that what you're also finding? At some point, if you look, um, Michael McDonald doesn't really do a whole lot of gigs unless he wants to do them. But the doobies are playing all the time. So th there's that aspect of people still need to work and eat. And also, back in the 70s and 80s, uh, publishing deals went down a little bit differently with artists. When you would get signed to a label, they would normally take all your publishing. This was a pretty standard practice in the 70s. <coughs> Excuse me. So these bands didn't get the reserves of savings from selling these millions of records. It, a lot of it went to the label. You know, that maybe if they got their songwriting royalties, of course, I would assume, but, you know, they didn't get everything. So you have a lot of bands that were around back then that still need to work. They have house payments and whatnot to make. So, um, 
it ends up that there's a lot of these bands doing these package shows. So when I moved back here, I started working for the Levitt Pavilion. Uh, this is you and Patrick Keene. Yes. <laughs> really? Where's, I got, the, where's the Levitt Pavilion? It's in Pasadena. He, oh. I, I, I got Patrick a, a hosting gig. Oh, is this gig. the, is the that hosting the gig? gig? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know about that job. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we'll just leave it at that. So anyway. Uh, yes, and Patrick did that with us, and I was uh, the the production manager for the L.A. and the Pasadena Pavilion, and uh, came ended up doing our first show in Pasadena was with Ambrosia, and ironically, there's always seems to be this weird Milwaukee connection that happens, but ironically, I got to talking to Joe Puerta, who is the bass player for the band, and he also uh, lives part-time in Milwaukee and has a studio there. He was influential with getting uh, 88.9 going, that uh, YMS radio station to where it is now, um, and he's he's been in Milwaukee for a while now, so I started chatting with him, and it turns out we know a lot of the same people and whatnot. And we parted ways. I think I ended up after that going out on tour with Todrick Hall, which is my that's my movie premiere. I actually made it into one of these Netflix. Uh, oh, really? Rockumentary things. Yeah. Really? Anyway, I ended up going on tour with him. And after that was done, I got a call from Ambrosia asking if you know I could come out and mix some of their shows. They had a few gigs coming up, so I did. And we ended up working together for a number of years. And during that time, we would play a lot of these package shows with these other bands. So I ended up meeting another individual who ran a company that managed a lot of these legacy acts and puts together package shows. And he, you know, he handles Firefall, who I'm with now, and Smithereens and some other some other acts. And I do a lot of these package shows with him. And the state of the affairs is that a lot of these bands that had a crew of three or four people back in the day, it's just not affordable that to do shows and have that many crew. You're lucky if you can bring one guy. So a lot of these bands are touring with no tour manager. They do it themselves. They have no sound engineer. They rely on the house. And in the state of affairs we're in, a lot of guys just don't know how to mix. They're, they're technically good on the board, routing, figuring things out, but they don't know how to mix a show. They don't know how to make something sound like a CD. So I get hired in to do a lot of these acts as the, the show buyers hire. You know, so like I'm working for the show buyer to ensure the show sounds good for all three or four bands. And then I started, just like the old days, they started, you know, hey, can you come mix us at this show? Can you mix us here? And it just happened. It, I, I guess that uh, a lot of people don't work in that circuit anymore. It's just no money. So you just like putting the package shows together themselves, you got to put three or four really big bands on one act. Well, nowadays you got to get a bunch of bands to chip in to have one or two solid crew people to do that show. So it's just ch it's a change in the industry, but I found myself kind of embroiled in this uh, and, and legacy act. And keep working circuit. when, like yeah. you said, like you can't afford to take three people, four people out on the road, so there's right. one guy kind of doing. So were you managing, tour managing and mixing? Is that, yeah, was it like I a Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything. I do, I do as much as I can. I'll tour manage the, the show, and that really, just to do the sound engineering job, so I can do the sound engineering with peace of mind, there are some other things that need to get done, like advancing the show. And if you're going to do a show advance, you might as well advance all of the production. So I kind of took on the TM responsibilities because no one was doing them, and the things needed to get done by someone who knew the, the infrastructure of the industry. Mm -hmm. So I kind of take that stuff on, but mainly I just really want to go out there and mix because that's where my passion is. But you end up doing these other things along the way, and 
And, right? and, it's a but lot like of work. you said, you did those in order to keep mixing. Right. I right. mean, sometimes you got to do some other shit in order to keep, like, you know, once food in a while, brokering. Once in a while, <laughs> there'll be a, a crew that really, if it's a union crew or a crew that's been solid with a certain venue for a long time, the day's a little easier because people know what they're doing. But yeah. most of the time, I'm, I'm doing the stage guy's patch job. I'm doing other people's jobs because they either didn't read the paperwork I sent or another thing is you'll, you'll end up advancing a show with a guy, get through the end of the advance, and I'll say, all right, well, I'll see you Thursday. And he'll go, oh, no, I'm not going to be there. My guy Jake is going to be there. Why the fuck didn't you put me on the phone with Jake, Jake for yeah. this 20 minutes? When you say advancing the show, do you mean like pre-planning and just getting so all we, your we ducks in a row? we go over everything from the time I arrive at the venue. Where are we parking? Where are we loading in? How many dressing rooms do we have? What are, what's the schedule for setup, sound check? What time is the band going to be there? Dinner time? What time are doors? Are there VIP meet and greets? Everything that happens during the course of the day gets yeah. discussed and how it's going to go down. And then that's all written out onto a sheet. So you give the band guys so they can, you know, do what they want to do at their leisure and then just show up when they need. Be where they're supposed to be when they're supposed to be there. Right, because most of the time, as you know, during the day, you get in there sometimes at 9 a.m. You don't see the band till 3 p.m. So there's six hours of work that needs to be accomplished. Right. You don't need the band guys there. Yeah, so just, just watching you fucking hook up soundboards and stuff. Right, and like it can be frustrating because some guys are curious and they want to ask questions and some guys <laughs> always feel you're doing it the wrong way. And you know, so there's that. We, so we well, keep that element away from the. The guy who was doing yeah. it different than you. <laughs> so we we keep that element away, and then you know, after that, after you do the advance, everybody should be on the same page. But uh, millennials don't, you know. The, I don't. Back know, to I millennials. Just, it it comes down to it. The yeah, young, they're they're the really a thorn in your side, huh? Yeah. Ambrosia. It's funny. Like I know that name, and I'm still trying to peg the songs that they would have been known for back uh, in the day. Biggest part of me. You're the only woman. John, are you nice, familiar with nice. the band Ambrosia? I wasn't until I. Started. I know the. I think I know the two songs you just named. Oh, yeah, they go. were pretty big hits. They were five-time Grammy nominees. Are they a bit? So they seventies, eighties, both. Seventies, eighties, yeah. Okay. Pretty much had their big, big hits in the eighties and. The when late you go 70s. away, they started out as a prog band. You take away the biggest part of me. No, that's that's that Chicago. Oh yeah. no. Yeah. Baby, please don't go. That's Chicago. Yeah. What, John, what you were supposed to get the next line. Six? Yeah. Uh, oh, I I, not a six. No, I would not give that a six. <laughs> um, what are some other bands that you've been fortunate enough to uh, to mix uh, being this guy that uh, just kind of floats around and get opportunities? It's been interesting lately. I did. Um, we did a show with April Wine recently. I've mixed uh, Pat hello, Travers Wine. quite a bit. Who? Uh, Pat Travers. Oh. Uh, boom, boom, out go the lights. His big song. I think he's a Canadian guy. But the interesting thing is, uh, David Pistorius is playing bass for him, who's Jocko's nephew. So David has great tone. He's amazing to watch. Uh, I do Firefall on the regular Atlanta rhythm section. I've been mixing quite a bit lately. That's a KTEL record right there. You just listed out here in Atlanta yeah. rhythm section. Poco, I did a, a gig with them recently. Pure Prairie League a lot. Um, got to mix player. Oh, there, th- maybe I should tell you guys about the Foo Fighters story. Is that the one that you had me come to? Oh, yeah, you were there. Yeah, Jen, right. yeah, yeah. We, it, it, there was a huge argument on this show. <sighs> Not an argument, just a real snubbing. A real <laughs> snubbing. 
Somebody that uh, frequents, uh, Jen Murphy, who frequents this show quite a bit. Okay. Uh, she's a huge Foo Fighters. She every, It seems like she's always, I didn't realize. No, wears I, hats, wears shirts, <laughs> constantly yeah, talking about Dave Grohl. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm talking Foo about Fighters. that you would call me to do that, to, to go to that event, right? Yeah. And she's like staring at me, and I, I can tell she's getting more and more upset. And I'm like, what are you, what are you so upset about? And then John is like, uh, dude, um, I think it's pretty obvious that uh, she's. You didn't extreme. ask her to go see the Foo Fighters for free, like. <laughs> but it wasn't the Foo Fighters. But the whole point was the fact that you know there was a it, lot of Foo. There Dave, was a lot, yeah, yeah. Dave there was, was a, there. a couple, uh, and plus, uh, uh, what's his name, the the drummer. Yeah. Taylor. Which is why the whole thing happened in the first place. You were mixing yeah. Taylor's uh, cover band? He has a cover band, is that No, it? no, no, not at all. So I the the lineup, strangely enough, they were playing under the moniker Chevy Metal, which is that they go out and do these 70s rock songs. Uh, so it is a cover band. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a cover band is what yeah. it is. Um, but it's pretty much the, the three, I think it's three members of the Foo Fighters and then one of their uh, techs, one of their stage techs. And it's his band, apparently. The stage, the stage text band. Yeah. Yeah. And they're just, uh, they're just in it. And Dave is not actually, from what I understand, and I don't know much about Chevy Metal, but from what I understand, Dave isn't actually a full-time member. But he's been trying to be. But the, they don't really, they don't feel that he'll commit. So I, I don't think they're going to let him in. But okay. that, that from the banter on stage, that's all I could gather. Anyway, the, <laughs> the lineup was Chevy Metal uh, Player, you know, the, the band from the 70s, uh, with Ron Moss, the, the soap opera star. Okay. I don't know that band, um, but... How Long? Uh, they did that Paul Carrick song, uh, Baby Come Back, perhaps, you know? Okay. It's a huge song. Anyway, yeah. it was Player, Ambrosia, and Chevy Metal. And Chevy Metal, of course, opened, and then it was Player, and then Ambrosia headlining. And they just thought it was the coolest thing that they were able to play with these, you know, these legacy acts. Yeah. And... We got there early in the day to set up. It was at the Conejo Valley Days. So it was sort of a local show for Ambrosia and Player, who lived in the area. And uh, I guess Foo Fighters must live near there, too, is the reason they did it. Yeah. So the funniest part of the day was we came out to set up and got things going on the stage. And as I got done with my setup, I kind of walked back, and I saw this giant RV trailer parked out there. And I didn't see any other dressing rooms around. And I had advanced the show with the guy. I knew we were the headliners, so we got the dressing room. So we'd go in, and certainly all of our stuff, you know, the certain bottles of wine and the certain chips and, you know, all that stuff is laid out. The rider. Yeah, the rider's all in the trailer. So I kind of left there, grabbed a water or something, came back to the stage, started working on the day again. And the next time I go go back to the trailer, there's, like, four security guards standing in front of it, and uh, all the Foo Fighter guys are in the dressing room, and they had, they had just, I mean, granted, that's what they're used to. They come on site and find the big dressing room and, and take it. Uh, but I didn't, they, it didn't cross their minds that they were opening the show at that point under a different name. So th- they ended up taking the dressing room and then stationing security guards outside. So we had, you know, uh, what, five to 10, 60 to 70 year old guys, uh, ex musicians standing out in the heat, no dressing room. <laughs> it's just. Sort of ridiculous, uh, but yeah. I mean, it was a fun show. I took you, you came with the kids came and the kids, you did yeah. the backstage walk. Yep. Well, you saw the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the whole setup back there. They were all hanging out back there. Yeah. It was, it was good. It was fun. It was fun. I see, I like that kind of stuff. I think that there's something kind of uh, cool about that. And what I thought, what, what, what the, the, the journey, the, 
the life arc, if you will, of musicians is very interesting to me. It's like you start you talking about Nirvana playing in front of almost nobody, right? Mm -hmm. Become this extremely huge band. Well, obviously, we know what happened to Nirvana, and we obviously know what one of the members is. He's you know in the Foo Fighters now, but right. Um, but the arc of like I I remember when Chevy Metal was done, and the guys from Ambrosia just go out and start tweaking their own instruments, and like there's no. Like, there was probably a time where they, A, didn't have to do that stuff. If they were out there, the fans would be all over them. And would and, and it's just like, it's yeah, funny yeah. how now it's just like they're out there. Nobody's bothering them. Like, nobody cares. It's just this weird arc where yeah. you go from, like, <clears throat> the top of your game. And it happens to professional athletes. Another perfect example of, yeah. like, you, you watch athletes right now. And they're in their prime. And they're super popular. And they're super famous. And if they walk anywhere, everybody wants a piece of them. But there's, there's some that... Far exceed that the LeBron James, the the Michael Jordans, they will always be famous. But then there's the rest of them; they're only famous for a couple years, right? Right. And then two decades go by, and they walk down the street, and somebody may or may not remember who you are. It's just weird to me. And when they do, they they get excited for a second because for them, it's a flashback, right, to something in their lives. It's not about the moment anymore. It's about what you reminded them of. Yeah, you know, right, at sure. some point. I mean, even life. even Aaron Rodgers, uh, maybe at some point, will be known as the State Farm guy. You know, yeah. And, and, I mean, if know, he keeps doing State Farm, it's like we're talking like thirty years from yeah, now. Yeah, when Aaron Rodgers is sixty-five years old, he's not going to have the fame he has right now. That's right. just the reality of how this but, world but looks. The right, well, look what OJ had to do to get away from the Sam. Being I oh, this guy, guy over here. <laughs> but 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 what what I think it shows is like when you see when there's a baseball player who's you know well past their prime, played in the bigs didn't have like a stunning career but then they go play like pacific league or some crazy other league you know or they go to japan or they do whatever and like to me that's like that some people like oh that's just sad and it's like oh it's also like no these people really like baseball like there's a reason willie mays went and played on the mets dude he didn't want to stop playing baseball yeah he's not really concerned about your image of him thinking he's got to go out on top he just wanted to keep playing and when i see a band that goes from like selling out arenas to then playing, let's say, county fairs or whatever and having to carry their gear or tune their... They're doing that. I mean, yes, probably they do need money, but also, like, they want to be musicians. They're musicians. Like, that's what they do. They play music. So it's just... It's not as... I don't look at it... Like, when I used to see that kind of shit when I was younger, I was like, oh, that's pathetic. But now I'm like, no, dude, they just want to... They want to rock out. And if people are still interested in seeing them, like, I saw BTO at... You know Naperville Rib Fest. I saw Kansas at Naperville, Naperville Rib, Fest. Rib Fest. You know what I mean? Some that's a it's a low lower end show. You know right. what I mean? You're not playing the, the Soldier Field. You're not playing the Staples Center. You're playing the Rib Fest. That's you know? right. And you're playing it because you and yeah, you got to play all your hits, dude. Because no one wants to hear your new shit. But <laughs> there, I mean, there are guys from those bands. Uh, Burley and Joe from Ambrosia are two guys that love to play. Yeah, it doesn't. You know, Burley plays at church because he loves to play. He'll take an extra gig on mm-hmm. the weekends just to play drums. Yeah. Know? So there are guys that are just going to be like that for life. Yeah. When you look at, the, when I always like look at the Grateful Dead, and they were things when they first started to get popular, like in the in the early seventies, that things got real kind of crazy, and the band was like, "We need to take a break." And the reason they wanted to take a break was because they wanted Jerry Garcia to kind of get his shit together and maybe get a little bit healthier. And he was starting to get into harder drugs, and the rest of the band was kind of not into that. And as soon as they took a break, he formed a Jerry Garcia band and went on tour, like, immediately. (laughs) That dude wasn't taking a break. All he wanted to do was play guitar. Like, 
That's all. That's it. He was a guitar player. Yeah, well, look at loved. Ginger Baker. I mean, he just he never stopped. No. No, never stopped. And that nobody, was nobody wanted to be around that guy. Dude, he was that, I've read <laughs> interviews and people were like, dude, he's a dick. And like he's like, Yeah, but I like he's a drummer, right? He was a drummer for um Cream. Cream, yeah. yeah. And he's still he's got lives in a compound in Australia or some crazy shit. And like Well, he was at, he was in Colorado for a while and he was doing this uh polo thing. He would go play polo because he enjoyed doing that. And then after the game, he would go back and jam in a tent with whoever. Yeah. You know, just a bunch but he was doing it because he wanted to play yeah you know he just loved playing yeah you it doesn't matter if the guy's a total asshole or not a musician at heart is a musician at heart yep you know yeah. they're gonna do what they want to just like brian can't get away from radio nope He's can't can't get away still from 30 years later working, still working the mic you know he was in radio in his early days uh listeners have you have we gone over this before yeah we're about to go into another 40 minutes of nonstop rock right? <laughs> <laughs> We can get this. We can uh, also join Terry out. Havel for the New Rock 1021 Sunday Night Music Revolution. You know the Terry Havel thing. I feel bad about like you. So there was a um, a point. Um, uh, Listeners should know that we were we were gonna we were gonna uh, like produce at this at a, at a at a different level. And I had talked to John about it. And Terry Havel, <laughs> uh, who we used to work with back in uh, Milwaukee, he was at uh, he did Radio Chaos at uh, QFM yep. where I worked, and then the Sunday Night Music Revolution is when I brought back what I knew as Radio Chaos and brought that over to LUM, yep. and that's where. I spent some time with Terry. It's like it's funny. I think you were like, no, no, Terry Hevel's still doing something somewhere. He, and he no, he some... works at WMSE now, or at least I wait. Don't so he's, know. he lives back in Wisconsin. He's he must he had be. left yeah. for a long time, right, and went to was living in Tennessee or something or whatever. Could have been. That's what I was told. I mean, obviously, I didn't know because I obviously left. But anyway, so it's funny to hear that when you when you sent me those promos, listening to somebody that you know you grow up listening to <laughs> in radio, then you work with them, and then you don't hear from them or see them for like 20 years, then you hear their voice again, and you're like, goes back to what I was talking about right, right. before, about like, it jogs these memories of like, these moments uh, in, in time, you know, and Hevel was, you know, Hevel was one of those guys, from a radio standpoint, or for me, from a musical standpoint, he exposed me to a lot of music. Yeah, well, a lot of people. That in, influenced in, me. Sure. Um, it influenced me in a way of like whether it was MSC, you know. I mean, MSC. What was cool about MSC, and from a musical standpoint, was the fact that, and you know this, is you got to go in there, and there was always a stack of new CDs, new music. That was the main attraction. Yeah, and you had the sure. free time. You go into the other studio, right? Yeah. And you pop them in, and you start because that you know obviously now, no, and I think I've told John this before. You know what? What I think this generation is, it, it doesn't get to experience. Is the excitement of the of the fresh music coming in? It's actually pretty hard to find now. The way it's set up with iTunes, it used to be you can once still a week that music, new music would come out on a Tuesday yeah. every week, so you would anticipate it. And what the internet has done is it's taken some of that anticipation yeah. away, and a part of the experience is gone. Yeah, it's it's yeah. missing. Well, I mean, I I I also think. Like the things I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just right, it's right. an evolution. It's, right. just, it's I, an evolution. I, the way that things have gotten a little bit easier for some stuff. Like, I have very fond memories of my mom dropping me and you know two hungover sixteen year old friends of mine off at or fifteen year old friends of mine off at a mall to wait in line at six in the morning for rush tickets. You know what I mean? Like having to go to get the physical ticket, having to make the effort, having to yeah. know they yeah. go on sale at 10. We got to be in line at 830. Like they're doing a lottery. Like I remember like being becoming very good at buying concert tickets. You know what I mean? 
And now you don't. There's none of that. You don't. You, you're leaving your house for anything. It's, it's just well. To there's go the good the and the concert. bad. But you are right. There is something about that. We, we when we used to work in radio, that was one of the promotion things we would do. We would go to wherever the long lines were for the hottest band at the time. Yeah. Which at that point would have been Pearl, Pearl Jam. Jam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pearl Jam was you know creating that that Ticketmaster backup, if you will. Like I and I. My, it's funny you bring that up. There was also the phone thing, right? That. Constantly calling and getting the uh, the, the, the the busy signal, busy signal, busy signal. Like you, they, no, all that stuff is yeah. gone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, even trying to call a radio station to win tickets. Just like <laughs> I remember doing that. that like build up is was important to the actual event and the experience, in my opinion. Yeah, that that huge build up of. And you had stories to tell. Oh, my God, I thought we weren't going to get tickets. And then so I was calling the radio station every day. And then finally they had tickets at Ticketmaster. We got a ticket to buy. Yeah. You know, and you're excited. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the music thing, this is the only thing that's what I was saying about it was that, we, like you said, there was the anticipation, but there was also the withholding. So you couldn't get the whole album. You couldn't get all the information. And you were like, please. Just please. When can let I me. Get all I don't want to keep hearing that one song. Can you just give me the rest? They're like, I'll give you three more. They're like, three more. Yeah. How about the whole album? And you had to wait until it damn it had to that come was, out on sale. Yeah. And then you had to go get it. And you it was you were a risk taker at that point. The U two. You take it. Take it home. Listen to it and decide whether or not it was a good purchase or not. Like and, that, and that's <laughs> right. but that's the thing that that what Pandora has taken away from me. Just as I've, I, mean, my brain works or whatever. But like. I was a guy that could would put on an album. Like I listened to whole tapes, whole records. Did you have the rack of CDs in your room? The like three hundred and fifty CDs. I had rack alphabetized. I had yeah. I had tapes first, like shit tons of tapes, <laughs> and then when the CDs came out, that was what I started doing. But it was like I would listen to. I'd put on Jane's Addiction. I would listen to the whole album. I would put on a Van Halen tape. I would listen to the whole tape. Pandora, man, I don't listen to whole anything anymore. It's like no, you're barely getting through a whole song before you skip at the end. You know, it's like, okay. And and I'm not saying it's bad because the variety is great. And when you listen to a Pandora station, all of a sudden the song comes out, you're like, oh my God, I fucking forgot about this song or yeah. I haven't heard this song forever. It's exciting and there's it's in its own way, it's interesting and 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 stimulating. But like uh, there is something about like Always like just I put put in the tape. I'm putting in Pink Floyd. We listen to the whole tape. Like, can I ask you something? As far as we're talking about the experience, because mm. you you're still so heavily immersed in the live experience. Over the 30 years that you've been involved in live experience, what has the evolution been? Have you seen it change, or is it still the same as it always has been? I mean, what 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 is what is your takeaway? It's um, hard when you become so extremely jaded as I am going through the industry. But no, it's, I mean, for the most part, it's the same. Is the audience still the same as it always is? I'll I'll give you an example. I think it was 2004 or 2005 when I went out on the Gavin DeGraw tour. And it was the first, uh, when his record hit big the first time. And I just remember going, the first gig was in Boston or something, and we went into this, it was at a college place, and you could tell that when an artist gets big fast, what ends up happening is they have a certain amount of uh, shows that they have to, uh, um, that they're committed to doing, that they have to do, but, you know, they're like number one on the charts, so you know the show's going to be sold out and the venue's too small and all that. So the first show on that tour was a show like, this was about a 700-seat room, and he was packing 2,000 people at the time, or more. And when... So there was very minimal production. There wasn't a big stage show, you know, pyro, 
few moving lights and that was it. So it wasn't a big, exciting production to get people amped up. But as soon as Gavin's set started, the lights went down and he walked out on stage and immediately the room smelled like pee. You know, it was just, it was a bunch of preteen girls and it was like Michael Jordan had walked out, photos snapping all over the place. You know, and I, I looked at that and this was about halfway into my, my career at that point, 2005 or so. And Hold on one sec, they're... Uh they're, oh, the LAPD is finally No, no, here. no. The, that's, that's an airplane that's dropping all the uh, uh, 2018 uh, Los Angeles Dodgers World Championship T-shirts. Dude, yeah. no, that's what I, oh, <laughs> I said that on Twitter. <laughs> I was like, somewhere in uh, the developing countries around the world, there are kids getting new T-shirts thinking the Dodgers are back-to-back World, world Series, Series champions. champions. Yeah. All right, so continue. So, there. so uh, I lost my train of thought. So, Wait, yeah, you're so that's you're just saying, so the excitement. So no, Gavin yeah, no, across. So, all right, so, so, so Gavin steps out, and the, yeah. the flashes go off, and it's like a, a United Center experience with Jordan. And I thought to myself, well, you know, okay, so people do still get excited the way that I got excited when I saw Danzig for the first right, time right. or whatever. You know, so it's still there. But lately, I haven't been with I, – I think the way they keep that going is – People like Justin Bieber. I worked at uh, 2015 at the uh, what's the airport out in uh, north of Los Angeles? Is it John Wayne? Oh, uh, well, that's north one, the Burbank Bob one, Bob Hope. Bob Hope. Bob Hope. Bob Hope. Burbank, so yeah. up at Burbank, they have a few airplane hangars that they'll rent out, and musicians will oh. do production rehearsals there. So we did a Bieber rehearsal. You had, for some of these shows, this you need a large area. Like yeah, a you got to rehearse the show. And there's a lot going on. You have to build a giant on, stage, a giant lighting rig, and all this. So I think the way some people are doing it, since we, I witnessed this Bieber setup that was, the stage was, this is three years ago even, and the stage was humongous, had a ton of hydraulic moving parts and a big light show, video screens, all kinds of stuff. So I think that's how they keep that excitement going by, you know, pre-filming uh, Lady Gaga jumping off of the right. stadium roof and then right. showing it live, you know. It, there's still some tricks that can be used to get people amped up, but then I've also seen... Uh, a famous tactic from, uh, I think the guys who did it first were Lowen and Navarro, Dan Navarro and Eric Lowen, two guys from out here, that will just dump all the production and go stand on the lip of the stage with their two acoustic guitars in a nice theater and play a song without any PA or anything on. And that'll bring the, the, the place down. Yeah. So it still exists. It, the excitement still exists, but... I think you got to coax it out of people in different ways since there's not that buildup anymore. Back in the day, people at the drop of a hat, they, as soon as the band came out on stage, Crazy. they were freaking out. Yeah, or you know? as soon as you heard a guitar chord, and you're like, everyone freaks out, and then they realize, oh, it's the tech, he's tuning, okay. Right. Yeah. And you well, go up and down, and then all of a sudden the band comes out, and you're like, yeah! And I don't think anything will ever replace live performance, but I, I often wonder that with the overexposure that you get from laptops to smartphones to television to everything, that you're almost burnt out on artists before you ever go see them live because there's so much content, there's so much coming at you that it takes a certain level of desire to want to go to a venue and put up with the whole aspect you, of going to the live thing. That's what I worry about. It. You can't blanket it, though. It's not... It's genre-specific, because I do a lot of gigs with one artist I was just out with. We did some dates with John Prine uh, just last week, and then sh she does a lot of festivals of these, uh, I don't want to say millennial again, but these kind of uh, homegrown roots kind of festivals. 
uh, around the country that are a lot of acts like the Abbott Brothers and, and sort of this hipster kind of music, um, hangout festival and some other things. And I go s to see these, and they're much more laid back. You see the artists walk out on stage without any introduction. The crowd is usually respectful uh, if they're doing a quieter set, but there's not a lot of hoopla. And then the, the bands will stay after and meet most of the fans afterwards. So they're in different genres, I see different behavior. Yeah. Know, the rock shows and the, the hard rock and heavy metal shows all seem to be still running on the same way that they always did, where there's a bit of excitement and an intro, and then the show happens, and the show is its own entity. But there's some genres of music that are, their live shows are kind of breaking barriers where they're just taking that fourth wall away yeah. and saying, hey, you know, we're going to hang out in the crowd. We'd like to meet you all. And the crowd is is responsive in the same way that they're not, you know, they don't really get excited. Maybe some clapping or whatever, but not, you know, not what we're used to in the rock world. Right. It's kind of a different thing. What are some of your, uh, you know, uh, uh, over your uh, over your decades, some of your uh, more, f more favorite moments or, fun or funny moments? Oh God. Uh, some of the stuff that you were excited like what are some of the bands you were excited I mean to I feel with? like you kind of lived like a spinal tap like you, if you've lived through like the metal scene and like there's got to be some just crazy dumbass shit that went I on I mean some of my favorite artists to work with are those who I've gotten to know yeah. a little bit better because when you get to know the artist you can do a better job for them a lot of it's mind reading mm -hmm. so you're anticipating you watch constantly what they do and you try to mind read what they're going to want on stage and as you get to know them you can do that even better and it becomes kind of like a family thing yeah um there's a an up and well she's not up and coming anymore she's been doing this a long time and seven years kind of you would say professionally but valerie june is uh always fun to go out with she she tours with the most amazing musicians and the greatest people. Everybody's really nice. It's like a big family experience. Um, so she's real fun. But in the past, I don't know. Some of my favorite, I, I just, it's hard to or say. Or some of them where you were glad, you were like, oh, I get to work on this event because these guys were there. Like things that you were like, you were, you appreciated that you were able to get the back, you were get the, the full access experience. Because that's really what it gets you at the end of the day, right? Sometimes you may not yeah, be smithereens, mixing. Smithereens is kind of like that. I was a big fan of the band growing up. And, yeah. Um, had worked with them, uh, with my work with the Bodines. I've worked for them for a good 10 years. And with working with them, we've done shows with the Smithereens quite a bit. So I got to know those guys a little bit with that. And then was hired on by their management to be a... a mix engineer for them they That's have awesome. two guys and kind of coast to coast thing but uh that was pretty exciting and then of course they're they're having these uh rotating lead singers of robin wilson from the gin blossoms and uh, marshall crenshaw sings with them part-time and ted leo so you get to meet all these other people and like you know this white castle hat came from a smithereens gig because <laughs> it they had they wrote that song the White Castle Blues. So when we were in Columbus last time, the White Castle came out and did a nice photo shoot. But uh, that was real exciting for me because I had a lot of respect for those guys for their career for as much as they stuck to it. Yeah. Um, for dealing with Pat Denizio all these years, uh, rest his soul. He's a you know I love the guy, but he was a pain in the ass to was deal he? with sometimes. Yeah. I mean, but they're all just a great group of guys. When you get to know them, they have a lot of. Uh, knowledge about music history and things that have happened going all the way back to the 50s. I mean, they, they were music heads when they got into the band, I'd have to imagine, with the scope of knowledge. So, yeah, that was fun. There were some gigs that I did when I was acting as a runner for the uh, 
Riverside Theater in Milwaukee. So I get to pick up Bob Dylan one time. Oh, shit. I ran, was that ran for Summerfest? No, the, yeah. he was doing Riverside a Riverside Theater the Riverside. would be like the high-end, like, fancy theater. 3,000-seat yeah. yeah. theater. But it downtown. was like high-end shows there. Yeah. So I picked up Bob one time and then brought Brian Wilson his dinner from Glorioso's. Whoa. It was funny because I got the call and it was, uh, what is, you know, Brian wants some dinner. What does he want? Uh, spaghetti and meatballs. Okay, I know the, the best place to go. So I ran down there and they called up and said, yeah, get them three orders. And so I got three orders of, you know, and three forks and three, you know, the three, three orders of everything. Now put it in one bowl. Let's <laughs> pass yeah. it over well, here. Yeah, I didn't realize that, but yeah. that was the case. <laughs> they didn't, it, it was told that we, they didn't need the other two forks. So, um, it, it, those are some of the better experiences. Jeff Beck, that, oh, that show Jeff with Beck. Beck. It was Jeff Beck and Brian Wilson together on a tour. And oh, like, not together on the same, but not, like playing. Like playing. Oh, how was Jeff Beck? He's about my height, ironically. He's a very, very short well, dude. That's interesting. I didn't get to see a lot of those shows because I'm too busy Working. going out and getting, you know, the bus stop for the bus. Nine pounds of meatballs and spaghetti. Right, yeah. <laughs> but I, loved, I, I, I did get, I did get the, the speech, the, the Bob Dylan speech about um, don't talk to Mr. Dylan unless he talks to you first. So when he got in the van, he said, hey, how you doing? And I didn't know, is that a door opening? Or <laughs> how do you I'm great. Also, Masters of War. Let's right. talk about some albums. Right. Like, Just go right into Don't Drive More Than 20 Miles an Hour with Mr. Dylan in the car. It was a whole, you know, whole thing of it. Wow. And it was funny for me because I, being in the industry so long, I've heard these stories from other people. Don't look at Prince when he's talking to you. Yeah. Those kind of things. And you hear about them. But... I had never, up until that point, experienced any right. kind of thing like that. Kind of think it's like a myth. You're kind of like, okay. Exactly, exactly. And then and someone's then like, seriously. So, no, no, no. And I was kind of snickering when they were telling me this stuff because it was genuinely funny for me. Yeah. yeah. Because I'm like, oh, my God, this is one of those These are moments. the things I've been hearing about. Yeah. Right, right. So, and then I think Raul or one of the security guys says, is it something funny? And I, you know, I had to stop and explain to him, you know, the whole thing. And after the explanation, they were kind of more cool with me. They were like, all right. He kind of knows what you he's doing. You kind of get it, yeah. But it was a little surreal driving, Bob you know, driving fucking a big Dylan. van I mean, and Jesus. Dylan sitting right behind you in his big, he wore one of those big coats that has the, you know, like a Kenny coat. Yeah. Oh, it's so you can't, <laughs> can't see, really his, see face. his face. A Kenny right. coat. Yeah. That's funny. That's hilarious. But, you know, you get to be in a, a fly on the wall for a lot of interesting stuff. Well, especially being around artists. That's yeah. the kind of cool thing about being a fly on the wall, because they do things... Well, like the Ramones arguing about shotgun. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. You know, that's funny. Or, but even just seeing them in an artist-like environment, like show prep. Like, things that people will never see. Like, they just see, see the final product. Yeah. 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 How baked was Sheryl Crow? When I, she... This is like... I don't know. I... I mean, come on! Can we really get anybody in trouble? It's been twenty. No, no, years. no I'm la- I don't remember. No, I mean, no, 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 so no, long. No, no one's going to care. Cheryl Crow. We used to have all. You have to remember. Big... I call them marijuana sticks, so I'm not going to know how how yeah, high he's like anybody baked? is. Does she like casseroles? Like right. no idiot. I'll gratin. <laughs> no. Th- so in the '90s, all of the big, a lot of the big superstars came through the radio station yeah. for interviews and promotion. Yeah. Cheryl Crow was one of them. Jewel was one of them. I think there's Lannis a picture Morissette of me and came through. me and uh, Corey McCullough. With Jewel, <laughs> oh, before he had a she huge had her facelift, uh, <laughs> but no. So and I just you, you never knew. Yeah, I'd come into work, and you could take one of two ways to get to Brian's office. If you took one way, you'd walk past the program director's office, and if you took the other way, you'd walk past the air studio. 
So I just happened to be coming in one the other way one time to work, and I walked past Ron's office, and it's right before Brian's, and I see Cheryl Crow sitting on the couch in Ron's office, baked out of her mind. <laughs> like there was, unless she had like some eye disease that I didn't know about. Jesus, I real squinty. Peter, she was baked, and you know it, that's. That was the life back then. You just did whatever you... Blues Traveler came... Oh, the funniest part was when Blues Traveler came into the studio. It was on a weekend. Brian had me... This was so ridiculous. We had these banners. All right, they were... 360, they were, baby. You gotta have it, a banner up everywhere. Everywhere you turn your right. head, you better see a, so they better were see like a banner. Two foot high rolls of banners. Oh, yeah. You know, And it was just enough to, that you could roll it down the hallway of the radio station to be able to cut out these individuals banner pieces off of one. So Brian, you know, cut out a hundred of those things. We're going to need them for whatever. So I'm in the studio. No one tells me, oh, by the way, uh, John Popper's coming in for an interview with uh, Zarin or whatever at six o'clock, three o'clock. Nobody mentions that. So I'm cutting these banners. And of course, John comes in and he's, he's with uh, Chandler and he's still sort of large at the time. He's lost mm -hmm. a lot of weight now. Yeah. But he was bigger at the time and he walked with a cane and he's a big dude. Yeah. And, I mean, you literally a path this big. And it was strung out with banners all the way down the hall in the middle of cutting them. And then he arrives, has to get to the air studio down, down 30 feet of his the hallway. Banners. Yeah. So, you know, all kinds of interesting stuff. Matthew Sweet played there. We had everybody down there at oh, one yeah. point in time. Oh, yeah. Toe the wet sprocket. You get a lot, yeah. of, you get a lot of private uh, dude, um, a lot of private shows. Like, a lot of, I don't want to say, like, they come in and there's three people watching them perform. Like, yeah. it's really... Yeah. Bizarre. Like yeah. when you look back on it, some of the exposure you would get from working in the thing you make fun of me for radio. Yeah. No, I make fun of you referencing it all the time. That's all. I don't make fun of the actual gig. But yeah, that's we, crazy. No, it was, it was good. And the new rock fest stuff that we did. I mean, those those lineups were ridiculous. Which is funny because now a lot of those bands, you know, it would I mean, be a, like a Lollapalooza grade lineup that it was. Oh, absolutely. Duran Duran. Played. Wow. It was oh the God, violent was Femmes, Duran Duran. They were so uh, over the top. Duran Duran. The oh, they delivered. Lips. They delivered. They were exactly who you would expect Good them to for be. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Coming in. Flaming. Her name is Rio, and she dances uh, on the sand. They were mantabulous. They came yeah. in and they wanted to make sure that everybody knew. Because you know the thing is, at that time, that radio station. So you basically had all the current and popular bands. Uh, like Collective Soul, would be a perfect example of like yeah. what was popular at that time. And then you had the retro 80s, which would have been Ramones, uh, Adam Ant, uh, Duran Duran. Adam Ant. Uh, oh, which yeah, he was Adam the only Ant, one that. That's right. If you no, he canceled because he was right. sick and everyone's like, Adam Ant is dying. I'm like, Adam Ant to this day is still alive <laughs> performing. <laughs> yeah. So, whatever the. Uh, yeah, Sponge. Just, uh, um, but yeah, so the, I, I just remember when, when, when they showed up, when Duran Duran showed up, it was just like, you know. Simon just comes in and it's just like Simon Lebon. He just you just knew that the way some people the way they carry themselves they want you to make sure that you know that they're the alpha male and they're the biggest star in the room even if they're no longer the biggest star in the room. Right. It was like just so funny to see them. Yeah, come in and he just was the like, Bono male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like we got this, everybody. I'm here now. We're here. Everything's gonna be okay. I have arrived. And look, dude, they put on a great show. And everything was okay. Everything was okay. That's right. They put on a great show. Yeah, so it was fun. That kind of stuff was pretty cool, being, about, being around that, the all-access passes. Dude, thanks for coming and sharing, man. Yeah, no problem. I, you know, I didn't know what to expect. This is what to, everyone should, that's how yeah, we do it. Yeah, that's it. We don't... Uh... I mean, I knew the dogs would bark. Well, because <laughs> they have small Frank. brains. They are simpletons, and they also don't like men, so...
You know, what are you going to do about that? <laughs> what are you going to do? Or people who taunt them when they come over. I don't like either of those things John, either. do you taunt the dogs? He did uh, it. He did I once, did and that was one, the beginning, the middle, and the end of their relationship. I was having some fun with them, and uh, Yeah, only one it. side was having fun. <laughs> that was it. You know, they, for whatever, for as, as small as their brains are, they must remember my face, because, and and now I got the one, Gary. Gary will, like, as soon as he'll bark, but then he stiffs my hand, and he lets me pet him, and as soon as I start petting him, he stops barking. And then Frank, I got to like, I uh, Brian's birthday party, I had to sneak up behind Frank to pet him. Oh, and he you was, know, dogs always like it when you sneak up. Behind but he them. was enjoy. <laughs> he was like getting pet, and he's like, mm, yeah, that's good. And then he turns around, he sees me, he's like, yeah, that's good. And then I stop petting him, he's like, Arr! I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> dude. All right. Yeah, simpleton uh, puppies. Well, thanks for having me on. I, you know. Anytime you want to hear about rock and roll stories. We didn't even get into all the Gary Sinise stuff. Gary the what? Sinise, we'll the Lieutenant Dan Band? The Lieutenant Dan Band. Wait a minute, friend. that actually exists? Go ahead. I don't even know what you guys are You don't know about, about the Lieutenant Dan Band? No. He does like Brian. USO shows and like um, uh, raises money for the troops and stuff. So He's that's a, what you do? I did, Well, no, I did I did a, a run with him right before I started with Bodine's and... Um, He's actually a very knowledgeable guy on the stage. He ran Steppenwolf uh, Dance Theater for a long time. But what Chicago. does he do? He's, he's a, a bass player. He play, plays oh, he bass so he's sings. a musician. He, he plays bass oh, and okay. sings, right? I didn't know that. Okay. He's the Not singer. Not like Keanu. No, he's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's no Keanu. Got it. He's a, right. Uh, he's, a, he's a bass player. And, but it was interesting. Every show that we would do, we'd get done with the sound check, and then it, my responsibility was to make sure the lights were also you know, aimed and set up right. So he would stay with me after the show, and we would do a focus, and he would, you know, I'd get up on the pole. So he wouldn't send somebody else. He would actually do it himself. He would do it. He knew all the terms. He, you know, turn the yoke, move that upstage a bit, widen that a, b- a little bit. He, you know, he knew his, he knew his shit. And, uh, but I, we whooped his ass in bowling, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so he was a horrible bowler. He, was, he wasn't horrible. Lieutenant Dion. Yeah. Lieutenant Dion played bowling ball. <laughs> <laughs> You try uh, uh, so it, so that it's, that was a USO tour. It was a USO tour. So have you been? Have you pretty much covered the planet at this point, or no? I haven't been to China. Okay, but uh, China's coming to us anyway, so it's not. You know, I won't have to wait long. <laughs> right, but that's really like that's one place. Like you've been to. I haven't Africa, been to China. I haven't India. been to Africa. I want to go Russia? go to Egypt. Um, been to Russia? We didn't get to Russia. I think we were supposed to do some. What's Eastern some crazy countries stuff? that you've been to? Norway. Uh, we were like I places you're Oslo? like I never would have been here Oslo? if I wasn't in this band. So you Oslo, never Oslo, yeah. Oslo is that is yeah. Oslo we went to with the Donnas. This is a long time ago. The Donnas. Uh, my friend's Kate uh, cousin is in the Donnas. Oh, my friend Kate Bunch is a uh, production designer. Um, worked on Flight of the Concords. Is doing a movie in Toronto right now. But uh, Flight of the Concords is genius. Oh my God, she but for art the art design on that was like she's like we it's basically shooting three music videos a day. So, wow. like, it was in- insane. But, like, obviously, those guys are, p- I mean, to me, they're piss your pants funny. Like, those two guys. Oh, are, they're the, hilarious. The of the Concords is so good, yeah. you know what I mean? You can call them the Tenacious D from Down Under if you want, but, like, they're their own thing, and they're very, very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were with the Donnas in Europe. It I like the Donnas. Uh, oh, I can't even remember. I want to say maybe it's it was 2000, right around that time. Yeah. With uh, the opening band was White Light Motorcade. Um and it was a whole tour, and we were scheduled to go. We made it to Belgium, so through Germany, uh, the UK, Germany, all the Netherlands areas, um, and we got to Belgium. We were supposed to do France and Italy after that, and uh, I think it was Tori. Is Tori the drummer? Not 100% sure. I think it was 
it's Tori's the guitar player, the drummer. I apologize. I forgot your That's name. Okay. It's no okay. It's been many years. Yeah. No one's going to care. Um, the drummer, say that this won't hold you accountable. Drummer, so you're right. Okay. The drum, drummer got tendonitis or some some tendonitis oh. started flaring up, so they had to cancel the tour. So we never actually made it through oh. France and Italy. So I, I do want to go there. But there's just a couple little pockets. I mean, how? Yeah. But how much time, though? That's the thing is I think people misunderstand. Like, how much free time do you actually get in many of these countries? Because a lot of it's just like, get in, that's you do your thing, and you got to get to the next gig. So you don't... Yeah, you're like, oh, that was there. Be- that's a yeah. beautiful country. Did you see it? No, I was no. in a hotel room. I got in a limo. I got to the show. Yeah, you I get s- back in a limo. I got to the hotel room. You see the world from the back of a loading bay, basically. It's not a glamorous life. But once the beauty is, is once in a while... Like Brian, when you get an off day, maybe you you go to uh, the observatory or you know, I go to Glendale. Kid, I go to Glendale and a gallery shopping yeah, or something. So <laughs> when I when I have an off day, sometimes I I find myself in you know Belgium. Yeah, so that's yeah. the cool thing. Yeah, is you can and you take advantage of that. You have yeah, to. Yeah, you try to. You, you don't to, sit yeah. in your hotel room. No, we call that that's called rock and roll prison. A lot of the uh, the musicians have that. Uh, that's one part of touring you never hear about. Is Dude. actually. The hotel is sort of a prison because if you're in the band, you get to the hotel, you check in, you can't really do too much because in about two, three hours, you have to be at the venue to sound check. And then when you're done sound checking, maybe you go back to the hotel and you can't do nothing again for another two hours because you have a show coming up. Yeah. And then after the show, you have to get to sleep because you have to get up in the morning and leave for the next town. So you're really relegated to this hotel room or the bus. And depending on who you are, even on an off day, like with the, I keep going back to the Grateful Dead, but even with the Grateful Dead, like guys like Bob Weir and and Mickey Hart, they could go walking around in in strange countries and Jerry Garcia couldn't. Right. Jerry Garcia couldn't go anywhere. Like he literally, there's that aspect of it too. Because he would, it would just be mobbed by people. And it was like, you know, as, as great as that is, Deep down, that guy was really just a guitar player and a songwriter, and that's all he wanted to do. So, I mean, that's where, like, the drug use comes in. It's like, I'm fucking going out of my mind here. Yeah, I understand it. It's very difficult because you're told not to. You don't want to offend anyone if for no reason especially. Right. Um, So you want to be kind and nice to everybody. So when you're getting mobbed by people, uh, the deep down inside, all you really want to do is just get me the get fuck, the out, fuck of here. out of there. Yeah. But you can't, you have to be gracious to people and smile and tell them. So, you know, I would, I would turn to drugs too, if I had to deal with that 24 seven. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's that, or like you're meditating for like seven hours a day. Like no I, time for that. You got a sound check. To yeah, get exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, you, and there were some places where you got a little bit of time to experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually, it ends up being like... Uh, the Worst place you ever were? Other than here now? Probably the times you have off, you have a day off in Omaha, Nebraska, or Oof. you have a day off in Kansas City, or... No, this Kansas City's not so bad. Well, but, you here's know. the thing, though, This and this is what, and I think this may be where you're going with it, so in my limited time when I did, you know, tour manage, a lot of these places are just like where you came from. So there's really nothing. Oh, cool. Another mall. Right. Yeah. yeah. A, a, oh, cool. A, 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 you know, I mean, you, you come from Wisconsin and I think Wisconsin's, you know, it, it's, it's got its, it's, it's beautiful. It's got its, it's got its areas kind of just like the suburbs of Illinois. At, at a certain point, everything starts looking the same. There's nothing special about where you are, especially when you get in the Midwest, unless you get to a specific place within there. Like Kansas City right. is an example. There are parts of Kansas City if you know what you're doing, good where music, you're going, good food. You go there and you get the experience. But like you talk about, if you don't have the time for any of that, you, well, that, you don't get any of it. And even if you have a day off, I know this is hard to imagine, people. But there was a 
time and a place where the internet did not fucking exist. Yeah. So when you got <laughs> to Lawrence, Kansas, this awesome college town Playing that you've the never been neck. to, and you have a day off, well, now what? Yeah. You know, where do, do I, I go? Just make what a do random I do? call? By, by the way, so far you've listed to... every single place that I had. I did go, and I felt the same <laughs> way about all those places. Yeah, you gotta go to the back Especially... of the newspaper to see what's going on, Dude. or right, like you, you... Nebraska. Oklahoma, oh my God, there is nothing to do there. I'm sorry. I'm sure the people are sweet and nice. And again, you're going to the college towns. You're going through the college towns. So it's nothing, 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 college town, nothing, nothing, nothing. And there's yeah. literally nothing to do. Yeah. And you have a day or two off, and then you get done with this just hellish two days in Lincoln, Nebraska. And you're like, man, that just sucks. And then you get, you know, halfway out of town, you pick up a local rag and you see, oh, well, I could have went to see Stephen Wright. And I didn't even yeah, fucking right. didn't right. know yeah. he was in town. You know, know nothing unless right. there's the sign. There's like a sign outside that says, hey, guess you happen to be walking by like, yeah. 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 So, yeah, like that was the nice thing about it when I did like we would go to Colorado and we would go into the mountains and stuff like that. Like, so there were certain places where it was different than where you were from. Yeah, You're go like, hiking, oh my go God, out thank and see God. the, yeah. And that's what I try to do is like, I try to do something outside because... I mean, with the internet, it is easy. You can Google whoever the fuck is whatever. But, like, if you're doing comedy, your nights are pretty much taken up, you know? So, the concerts are sort of out of the question unless for whatever reason there's an off day and then you do right. another show. But, like, during the day is when I have – I can – and for a long time, it was, like, just sleep, be in the hotel room, watch TV. And now I try to get out, walk around, and, like – Well, I thought that's what you were supposed to – like, if you were playing a city that you were new to or didn't know, isn't that what you want to do as a comedian is kind of get to know the, the culture a little yes bit? Yes and or? no. I mean, if you've got an hour already in the books and that's what you're doing and it doesn't involve any local humor, then, yeah, you don't really need So why the city. try, then? What's oh, that? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, no, but I mean, well, it's so yeah. different than you. Honestly, it's just a matter of like how you're never going to because of what I used to do, what you still do and what you're still doing a lot of is, look, it's part of your life. You know what I mean? And you're never like that's what I was asking you about when you go overseas. It's like a lot of these places you're, you would never would have been there if you didn't Without do what you that, did. Right. So you might as well at least step outside and see what the fuck it is because you're never probably coming back. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's going to be your one time. Yep. And so you can at least cross it off the list and go, yeah, I was there once, and this is what you know. This is what it was. Yeah. You know, I just went to Morocco last year. I was like, I, I, I think you just made that up, but that's fine. No, I think, I'm just kidding. I'm just I, kidding. Booked, I booked a commercial, and they're like, you're going to Morocco, and I was like, oh, Spain. <laughs> and then I looked on the map, and I was like, or Africa. Interesting. <laughs> was not aware of that. And then like, yeah, we went out, and but but like. You know, it's awesome. What did you see of Morocco going to do that shoot? You saw I mean, where Steven Spielberg shot all his movies? Nope. I but I, we went out from the compound kind of resort we were staying at to we got a driver and he took us to basically a mall. But like <laughs> outside that mall was like you know camels and you know, dudes running around on camels. This weird kind of random stuff that you would never ever see. And then we went out at night and went and had dinner and like went into like the city and saw the marketplace and like where everyone does the trading and the selling and the food was delicious and everyone was really nice and i did feel kind of bad the women are not really treated as equal by any sense of the imagination so there's a, like we were with american women who were like people were like what are you doing without your thing on your face and without your you know so there was a lot there was some of that but yeah but it was a uh, it's just interesting you know taking Take in other cultures and 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 just kind of be there for a little while because, like you said, man, I ain't fucking never going back. Like, Probably not. No. If I have if I have the money to travel to Morocco, I'm not traveling to Morocco. I'm going to travel somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
Well, especially like when you're saying like you're in Norway. I mean, what are the odds that unless you got another band that gets booked to Norway, these are not ra- such a random. We, we hear about it. We know that it's it had the Olympics once, but like majority of people, unless you you're, have some specific reason to go to Norway, you're probably not going to find yourself there as an average American. No, you know we I mean? were in Norway and I, we found ourselves saying, well, what the fuck is there to do in Norway? <laughs> Which is you know, hilarious. It's kind of just walked around and finds somewhere to eat. So it's a cleaner Omaha, Nebraska. It's cleaner, and just imagine Omaha if the prices were ten times what they normally would right. be. And that's awesome. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's very expensive, and it's full of uh, boats, and f- it's fish, and boats and fish. So yeah. nothing like Omaha, then? Right. Right. Well. Hmm. I guess not. No. Yeah. Okay, I just want to be clear There's about no that. There's no water near There's Omaha. <laughs> Landlocked. And by the way, if if you're if you're living in Omaha and uh, you're listening to this, get out. No, but I'm just saying it's just you know it, it's great. I mean, you can make you can make whatever you want out of wherever you live. Yeah, it's there's, just there's, there's great places and there's shitty places everywhere. Now, yeah. how would you classify? Are you both not from L.A.? No, I'm from Illinois. What are you talking about, dude? Why would you ask me that? I just want to make sure because I didn't know. You know, so you mean an attitude? Well, L.A. is. Uh, is a place you mean how we identify as ourselves how, how now? How do you see L.A. when you first came here? Because I had a lot of different expectations when I first came to L.A. Sure. But you were coming from the music business to the music business. I was, business. and I had played here several times. And it's funny because when I came through here on tour without living here, the expectations of L.A., everything lived up. Yeah. You know, I ended up running into... Ron Jeremy outside the uh, rainbow the whiskey. Okay. And all right. Well, was, that I, counts for all three of us now. So well done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you didn't mistake him as you didn't mistake him as the guy who was running the hot dog cart. Nope. Which yeah. was a very well. He was running a hot dog. You're cart. like, no, I'll take he wasn't. Two. He's was, like two of my penises. He was, <laughs> no, he was dressed as uh, he was dressed in the same shirt as the guy having the hot dog, and I had finished a loadout at the whiskey, and I wanted to go grab a hot dog. And I everything about when you bring Ron Jeremy, everything you just said is a fuck is now has sexual connotations. No, to I it. mean I just load out. I, I just wanted a hot dog. dog. I thought the hot dog guy was interested in or had, was trying to talk to someone in the band because I noticed he wasn't by his cart. Cart had nobody manning it, and who I thought was the hot dog guy was up by the front of the bus by the door. So me and another crew guy walked up. I said, "No, he's right here," and I hit hit him on the shoulder. I says, hey, I'd like to get a hot dog. And he turns around. I mean, it's an unspoken joke at that point. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. a lot of laughter and whatnot. And maybe Andy Dick was there or something, too. And that sounds about right. Yeah. Every time I would visit L.A., something like that would happen. I think I spilled a drink on Janine Garofalo at On the Rocks. What be- whatever happened to her? She's still around. But but doing what like I mean Comedy. is she, she, she does, okay just stand up yeah, she's I writer. don't mean in a bad way I just no. haven't I don't hear much she's from very her she's very political she's very uh, almost a, a, kind of an activist in a way okay yeah. All right. but every time I would come to L A that something like that would happen and then I moved here and it was a different world yeah. That's totally about what happens. Work. No, I think that we've talked about this before. When you move here, there's a short window where it feels like a vacation, and you're exposed to a lot of shit, and you're like, "Fuck, this is what LA is." And then now you're living, you're hanging out in my basement, Hollywood adjacent, and now you have to get up and take a shower and go to work and yeah. have a regular job, have, it, have it, a life. You have to do your, is, you have to live your life in LA. I'm assuming, you know, you, you, you look at this area. It, does, do you feel like you're in LA? Do you, does this feel like? Hollywood to you? No, it's no, this is not just. Really. I'm I'm living in Middle America, just outside of of the circuit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. it's just it's just that's what ends up happening. You kind of just, just start living your life. It's just a strange juxtapose mm-hmm. coming from what what you are anticipating, and then you actually set down here for a few weeks, and you're like, 
this is crazy. Yeah. Oh, like, where, that, that never par- goes away. No parking spots. Where did my parking go? Where is my... I lost 40 IQ points somehow. I don't know where they <laughs> went. I'll never get them back. Why is this lady driving in the left lane even? You know, oh, dude, they don't do that. Oh, my God. It just becomes That's a Midwestern so thing that doesn't translate out here. It the fast to. lane and the slow lane does not exist here. No, no, not at and all. And it drives me bonkers. Because we come from the Midwest, and, that's, and there's, a, there's an understanding in the Midwest. Everybody you want to go fast, in, yeah. stay in the left. You want to be slow? Get to the right. People who don't understand that, I do believe, need to it's be not a thing out here. sort of a lion's it's not, den. No. It's not a thing out here. Well, it, it is to me, and I treat now, it as a thing. Driving 180 miles an hour and weaving through traffic, that's a thing that out here. That is a here. thing. I've seen Not that. enough I've people do that. that either. I've done that. <laughs> I, t- I like to get where I'm going. If you got to weave in and out of some cars, get moving. You're just, you just haven't given up enough IQ. Do, I think the state taxes your IQ points by 33% as well as your... <laughs> Uh, income, so that, and it's just to yeah. fit in. Um, no, I, I saw several people merge over six lanes of traffic at 90 miles an hour. That's why miles. there's always traffic. It's How the person it that merges from the left to the right or the right to the left. And I, oh, it's but the I people equate, driving in the slow lane, fast lane slowly. Do you equate? I equate out here people who can't drive in snow. There's that, but out here there's people who can't drive in the rain, oh which I God. find. Immensely that is, that is hilarious. I yeah. mean, granted, okay, so it rains like what once a year in LA. So well, the, here's the thing: for about the first 20 minutes of a rain, the ground is slick because of all the oil. The oil, so it is co- a little bit. It's a little dangerous for a short period. And of if time. it's a f- it's a hard rain, it is it is dangerous yeah. because the you, the road will get real slick. Yeah. And after you know thousands of years of evolution, I would think that people would know by now that that is what's going to happen every time <laughs> it rains. Yeah, but do, 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 no, no, no. Okay, I'm also from the Midwest, and every fucking year, the first time it snows, somebody goes to the window and goes, "Would you look at that? It's snowing out there." And I'm like, "Fucking happens every year." I don't know what the. F- mm-hmm. I sure literally, does. I, I, I see it all the time. People like they just, and I, you know what? Part of it though, it's endearing. Because it makes people happy or extremely angry, depending, especially if you fall asleep and there's a, a clump of snow that happens and, and you have to get up and shovel that shit. Yeah. That's a different opening up the window. That's the fuck this That's, shit. Oh, would you look at that shit? Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude. So, again, um, thanks again for, uh, for coming in and sharing. Yeah. No problem. No problem. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you. Real Any, quick. Anytime you... it's a slow week, just, you know, give me a call. Well, well we will. And also, just, I want to be very clear from here on out now that you've met John, if you wouldn't mind exchanging information. So, if anything, uh, music comes up that you could just share with John and Jen, who you've not met yet, so you could bypass me and keep me out of trouble, that'd be great. I really yeah. appreciate that. I was going to do that. I was going to make sure, because, like, if you're working for bands and you're on the you're out there, yeah, just real quick. So, even on this show, I have to do someone's job. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, Michaels, get over here. Uh, real quick, because it was just the Milwaukee uh, connection, but uh, and I know they've played through there a bunch of times. Did you ever work with Motorhead? No. Okay. No, I did witness uh, Lemmy playing the trivia machine at the uh, on the rocks. Yeah. Or, or what is the restaurant called? The Rainbow. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays, so that was out here. Yeah. He plays yeah, trivia yeah. and then and he used to play well, the played. Pac-Man Pac-Man yeah. machine. Yeah, yeah. Another okay. R.I.P. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. cool. All right, I'm just curious. I'm a huge Motorhead. No, Nikki fan. Six did show up though at a show that we played uh, at the Roxy. Oh, nice. Uh, the same time we saw witnessed Lenny, so it was a kind of a coalescing of strange yeah. coincidences. Cool. Well, man, thank you so much for uh, for doing the show. That was yep. great. No problem. All that, really and that's the only thing you wanted to ask me. <laughs> Lenny. Oh, he's got plenty of questions off air. Trust <laughs> <Okay>. me. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening. I was just going to say, go ahead. You got, you got this. Yeah, you got to get rid of all the other stuff first before then you can, can get before to. Before I can make my fart noises, guys. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Uh, be nice to each other. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 